The following podcast contains explicit language and movie spoilers. You've been warned. No, seriously, there, there's spoilers and, and foul language. Yeah. Welcome to $20 Ticket, where we tell you how much we would pay to watch The Rock. My name is Kerwin, and joining me today is Jason. What's up, Jason? Not much. How about you? I'm chilling, man. What are you drinking? Uh, an ultralight beer today. Nice, nice. Also joining us today is Mugga. How you doing, Mugs? Special K. What's going on? Uh, nothing, man. Just hanging out with you guys. What are you drinking? I have a Stone Delicious IPA, hmm. and then also some red wine. Very good. Also making his return is Bling. Bling, how are you? Hey, Kerwin. What's going on? I'm great. Um, Stone enthusiastic there <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> what are you drinking? I am drinking a Michelob Ultra Light beer. Very, very, very good. And also joining us is Holly. Holly, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. What are you drinking? I am on the red wine that Mugga is also drinking. Set her home. Yes. 7-Eleven's finest. Yes. Only the best when I come over here. (laughs) Shout out to 7-Eleven there. (laughs) Shouts. Big ups to 7-Eleven. Big ups. So today we're reviewing The Rock. Uh, released June 7th, 1996, produced by Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer Films, and Hollywood Pictures, distributed by Buena Vista Pictures. It stars Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage, Ed Harris, Michael Bean, William Forsyth, Vanessa Marcel, and Claire Forlani. It's directed by Michael Bay, known for such movies as Bad Boys, Transformers, and Armageddon, and written by David Weisberg, Douglas S. Cook, and Mark Rossner. Before we get into behind the scenes, Mugga, why don't you hit us with the financials? All right. So you said this came out in 1996. Um, this made roughly around 335 million back then, which I think is a huge success. Uh, domestically, is 134, foreign 201. Um, it only costs 75 million to actually make. So if you subtract that, around 260 million. I think in 96, that's very profitable. I don't know what you guys think. That sounds very yeah. cheap for... The, the, 75 million? That, yeah. Yeah, and make. you got big-time actors yeah. at the time. Sean Connery, obviously, you know, all that stuff. Um, opening weekend, it was ranked number one, 25 million. It, it had some interesting movies that were in theaters at the time. Uh, Twister was in theaters at the time, mm-hmm. but it was its fifth week. Uh, Mission Impossible, which we've done a podcast on, but yes. the first one, that was in week three. Toy Story was still in theaters. Oh, it's wow. 29th week. Theaters. Yeah. Jeez. So, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it was, it came out in, you know, it's a summer blockbuster movie. You know what movies came out after that? Uh, the Rock? What? The Nutty Professor came out uh, July 4th weekend, and on Independence Day came out. In 96? 96. They weren't on the. Oh, it was after though. It was obviously after then, right? Because I, look, I looked up opening weekend and what was in theaters when The Rock actually yeah. came out. Okay, cool. But yeah, so I mean, it was a success back, especially back in '96. Um, but yeah, it only cost 75 million to make and didn't really have too much competition from what I'm looking at. But yeah, that's the financials. Okay, cool. Uh, Jason, why don't you tell us what the people thought of this movie? So Rotten Tomatoes, Tomato Meter had it at 66%. Um, so again, 66% of people liked it with a rating of 6.6 out of 10. So 64 reviews, 42 people thought it was fresh, 22 people thought it was rotten. Audience score was 85%. So I think personally I'm siding more with the audience here. They gave it a 3.6 out of 5 with 305,000 reviews. IMDb had it at a 7.4 out of 10. Um, when I looked up the demos for this, they were all within a few tenths. So some of the other movies that we've reviewed, um, there's disparities that are a little bit greater than this one, but this one was pretty consistent across the board. Uh, this one had 289, almost 290,000 votes. Time Magazine, uh, I was reading an article. Richard Corliss wrote, uh, this movie is slick, brutal, and almost human. This team spirit action movie 
Mission Impossible should have been. So, oh, yeah. Oh, so I thought that was kind of an interesting quote. But yeah, so I mean, overall, it was pretty well received. I think the, again, looking back at Rotten Tomatoes, I think Tomato Meter, you know, critics were a little more critical of it. I suppose the audience that I think they was a little more well received. What do you guys think about that? I mean, I agree. I, I heard Siskel and Ebert, they actually um, applauded the film from what I remember. Which which is the one that died? Uh, Siskel, Siskel, right? Siskel, Siskel died first. I would think it was him, yeah. yeah. That like really, hey, like I really enjoy this movie. It's, it is what it is, but it really, I forget the quote, but he really gave it like a thumbs up. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, a lot of reviews I was reading too kind of said the same thing. They, yeah. A lot of people really enjoy this movie for what it is. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I, but I do agree. Agree with the audience. Would you say it was eighty percent? Eighty. Well, eighty-five percent of yeah. uh, the audience liked it. So I, I think that I think that's a pretty fair score for the movie, personally. Cool. Mm. Okay. What was what, what that? You don't like this movie, Holly? We'll get into it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll get, I'm curious to hear this. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Lock it up. Lock it up. <laughs> All right. So in order for this movie to get going, obviously this is produced by Jerry Bruckheimer, Don Simpson, back in the '90s. Those two guys tag-teamed a lot of stuff together. Um, I guess they were first reading the script while they were working on Crimson Tide, decided they wanted to do it. Um, the script, however, was written. This is like a big controversy, so kind of chime in if you guys are not. David Weisberg and Douglas Cook are the two guys credited to actually like have written this actual script. However, others participated in writing but are not credited. Some of these names are Aaron Sorkin... Quentin Tarantino and a guy by the name of Jonathan Hensley. Is that how you say his name? Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, yeah. Hensley. Yeah, I, I had to look him up. He did Jumanji, Die Hard, and also Armageddon. These guys are not credited on the movie, which is crazy because I love the script, but to find out that Aaron Sorkin and Quentin Tarantino were a part of it, I thought that was... You can kind of see their fingerprints on the movie, though, I think. I think Do you really? Because I never knew this until I researched it. There are certain little things, but I read that Quentin Tarantino wasn't cited because he wasn't a part of the Screen Actors Guild so at the time. He, so let's get into that. Here, here's what I have. The reason why they were not credited because they did not contribute 50% of the final script. Not sure if that's what the reason is or the entire reason, but that's what I had read. They actually had a dispute with the Writers Guild of America because of this. Only Cook and Weisberg and another guy by the name of Mark Rossner were actually credited. Michael Bay was furious about this, and he actually wrote a letter protesting, saying that Hensley, of all people, should also be credited on this movie. But I well, was, you're you're I a math admit, guy, and yeah. you say if you're not contributing fifty percent or more, but there's three people with credited writing it. Yeah, I don't. I, I, mean, I don't know how the percentages work on a script. I don't know if like they're all together. It's a hundred percent in, or like hey, you can. Only but you have said 50. anybody cited on it would would have fifty percent. Yeah, so that's the part where I'm just like, if anybody has any creative influence on it or any part of like the writing process, they should probably receive credit. Yeah. But I'm not sure with. But the, I, I I know that Aaron politics and Tarantino, along with Hensley, have not been credited on this movie. Um, there are some rules as far as like how the Writers Guild of America kind of gives credit for movies. So um, did some research, um, and according to ScreenCraft.org, um, there are multiple credits that you can receive as a writer or a screenwriter when it comes to film. Uh, one of the credits is called Written By. Um, to get a Written By credit, the writer or the writing team must qualify for both the Story By and Screenplay By credits. And to get a story by credit, you need to be a professional writer and your story must have been purchased by a production company or a studio. Even if you're replaced by other writers later down the line, you'll still be credited with a story by credit. Um, you can also get a story by credit if the screenplay is based on a story that is a sequel to an original work. So what I think that means is, um, for example, if I write a story for a movie or a screenplay for a movie, and let's say Jason writes the sequel um, and it's based off of that, then I still get a story by credit for the next movie. I think that's how that works. 
And then also no more than two writers can receive a story by credit. So if our crew, everybody here today wrote, only two of us would get credit. So that's why they have the two. So that's the 50-50, okay. Yeah. Um, And then there's also a screen story credit. Uh, In order to get a screen story credit, you need to be the original author of the source material that a screenplay is based on. So one of our episodes, we did Fifty Shades of Grey. So E.L. James would get a... Please never from, forget that episode. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I think we yeah. all want to forget that episode. We're all going to take a we're going to take a celebratory drink to forget that episode. When I'm counting, I'm going 49.51. I never want to say that number ever again. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, so in that example, the, the author would get a uh, from a novel by or from a play by or a series of articles by, etc. It still sounds confusing, though. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm still it does, confused, yeah. You know, it doesn't like, make sense because you're like 50 50 but then there are three people credited and again yeah so what i'm getting at six people kind of worked on this script is what i'm getting at right okay yeah and there's there's even more confusion because once you get to uh, screenplay by it gets kind of weird so screenplay by credits cannot be shared by more than two writers or writing teams the only way you could have more than two writers is if there's a writing team involved and the way you can kind of represent that in the credits is with an ampersand and the literal word and so if you see an ampersand between two or three names, that means they're part of a writing team and that counts as one writer. If you see an and, written and, A-N-D, between names, it's because they were attached to write the project at different stages uh, of the writing process. So if it's Holly, ampersand, Kerwin, we would be credited as one writer. But if it's Holly and the word Kerwin, that means we both worked on the script at different times. Um, and that's kind of how you get more people involved, but it's a really kind of confusing way of giving credit. And lastly, um, people receiving writing credits must have contributed to at least 33% of a screenplay. So if you worked on 32% of the script, um, you will not get credit even if you wrote the dialogue, the scene sequences, or character names are used. You will not get credit. And I think that that specifically has to do with screenplay by. I don't know how it affects the other credits, but for a screenplay by credit, you must have worked either as a team or an individual on 33% minimum. Did you get all that, Jason? <laughs> Jesus. It's confusing. I Can just... you repeat that, please? <laughs> uh, just just rewind it, guys. Uh, okay. uh, all right. I'm moving on, okay? Uh, this is directed by Michael Bay, <laughs> and uh, this is his second film. I think prior to this, he had done Bad Boys, right? Yes. The first Bad one. Bad Boys was the... And uh, he was not the original director. I heard Tony Scott was originally set to direct this, but turned it down because he wanted to direct The Fan. Yeah, I read yeah. that. I read that too. Yeah. With uh, Robert Tony Niro, Scott right? also yeah. worked with Bruckheimer. Did a bunch of movies back in the day. Um, but Bay has been on record saying that out of all the movies he's done, I mean, we, that this is his favorite film that he's ever directed. I don't know what are you guys' thoughts on that. I don't. I don't remember reading that. That's interesting. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's done a lot of favorite, films. Favorite movie directed. Are you sure it wasn't Bad Boys? Yeah, I think Bad Boys one and two should be his favorite. Yeah, are, you, are you being serious? I, I think no, the original. I, I, think, <laughs> I think they're great. I'm not saying they're not great. He said out of the, this was his favorite though. Okay. Yeah, so this is his I would favorite. think it would be Transformers. But. Now this statement no. might have been said prior to him doing Transformers. I just, when I looked up research on this, he, he was on quote saying this is my I favorite film I've ever directed. I why, because it just has an ensemble. It's on San, it's, yeah. You're on Alcatraz, you have great actors yeah. in San Francisco, I mean... Yeah, you're shooting, you're shooting on site. It's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah it's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. So. And it has all the Michael Bay isms that we've come to yes. love. Yes. Before they were yeah. Michael, Michael Bay isms. Yeah, yes. I, I totally agree. Um, so let's get into the casting, though. Um, we all know that Nicolas Cage, this is a Cage movie. 
He plays Dr. Stanley Goodspeed, but he was not the original choice. Do you guys know who the original choice was going to be? No. no. Former California governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> he signed yes. our diploma. He was offered and turned it down because he didn't like the script. I guess the original script that was handed to him was 80 pages long and actually had drawings on it. And he just thought, yeah, this is not going to be good. That was Tarantino. He has that been did on record drawings. saying he regrets turning down the role, though. But I love Nick Cage, and it's like, I can't imagine Schwarzenegger doing this movie. Like, no, I don't know. Can you though? I don't. Can you? Yes, I can. Right. I'm, gonna tell, I'm gonna tell you why I don't think because Nick Cage in this movie is not a field agent. Right. And you look at That's Arnold. True. That's Arnold true. has to be somebody in the field. Like right. the way That's he's true. built. You know, even before I saw the movie, I was like, why is Nick Cage only a doctor? And then it took me a while to realize to remember, like he's. Yeah, not. I think I think Arnold relies on like his physique, if you will. Yes. Um, we have to to make action sequences happen, and he's normally the catalyst for action scenes happening. And so I feel like when he's playing an intellectual role, like as much as I love kindergarten cop, don't get me wrong. Like him playing that role. It's, it's a stretch. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It's him going out. It worked. It did. I love that movie. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it's outside of his wheelhouse. And I feel like something like this, where he's playing a heavy intellectual role and talking about chemicals and talking about how it affects the body and the neurological system. I don't think that's, that's something that is within Arnold's wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think Arnold trying to explain all that scientific, we would get lost and like, uh, what are you trying to say here? I, I Carla was the prom queen. I mean, come on. Yeah, <laughs> Carla know. was the prom queen. Carla was the prom queen. queen. I, I, just, I, <laughs> I, just think it's, I just think it's interesting that he was also offered another Nick Cage role as in Face Off. So he was, what? Yeah, he was also offered the role as Nick Cage character's what? role in Face Off. That's a whole other podcast in itself right <laughs> wow. there. Wow. Can, can, can you guess who was offered John Travolta's role? No, at I don't first? know. Sylvester Stallone. Awesome. So you're oh, telling me Face God. Off. Now, I know we're getting off tangent, but Face Off with the Nick Cage, John Travolta was supposed to be Schwarzenegger Stallone. Can you imagine? Sign me up right now. But I think, I think again, we go back to when we were talking about Con Air. It's the stage in Hollywood where they were actually casting serious dramatic actors in these action roles. So it's getting away from the Stallones, the Schwarzeneggers, um, the... Um, Jean-Claude Van Damme, there we go. The Jean-Claude Van Dams at the time. I think they're getting into more dramatic actors playing in these action sequences to have a better quality of acting. Well, I mean, at the same time, though, Sean Connery was James Bond, so, I mean, he is known for being an action star yeah. in, in itself. But Before we move on, Holly, you're an English major. If you yes. can spell Schwarzenegger, I'll pound my entire beer correctly because <laughs> I have it right here. Okay, let's try this. Wouldn't you have to be, like, an Austrian major to S-C-H. spell that? Oh! Take a drink for that okay. one. <laughs> S C H, you're on the right S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z. track. S C H W A R T Z. No, there's no T. There's no T. It's S C H W A R Z E N E G G E R. E R or A R? E R. E R. I look at my degree every single day, which he signed, but I, you know. I have his autograph too on my diploma. Right? All right, moving on. Sean Connery plays Captain John Patrick Mason. He signed on immediately when he found out that Nick Cage was actually going to be playing also in this movie. He was like stoked about it, signed on. He's also on record saying that this is his favorite 90s movie that he ever did. Not all of his movies, favorite 90s movie. I looked up some of the movies he did in the 90s, Hunt for Red October, Medicine Man, Rising Sun, Entrapment. 
He was also in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, but he's just at the very, very end, mm-hmm. right? He's not even actually, I mean, he's in the movie, but not really. But I thought that was interesting. This is his favorite 90s film. Mm-hmm. Going further, though, Ed Harris plays Brigadier General Frank Hummel, mm-hmm. right? Now, I had to look it up. Does anyone know what Brigadier means? No idea. No yeah, idea. I, I had no idea either. Right? I mean, I, I've watched this movie forever, and I'd never... Yeah, I had no idea. So this is the definition of Brigadier General. It's an officer in the U.S. Army, Air Force, Marine Corps ranking above a colonel or below a major general. So what? Because I know he was. I know he was Marines, but then they went to like the naval base, yeah. and it was just. I yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah, it's cool. You have John Spencer. He plays FBI Director Womack, which I want to bring up. I feel like that's the villain of this movie. I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, I know he's on the good side, but don't you like hate this guy? Like, yeah, he's, yeah. I, I mean, I feel like he's the villain secretly. I don't know. You know, you like, don't have emotional connection to him. Well, he's an asshole. Like he's legitimately yeah, an he, asshole. Yeah, because he he didn't want to send the, the uh, pardon for Sean Connery's character. He didn't want to send Mason. Nick Cage in there. Nick, yeah. It's the other guy, the other FBI guy. Yeah, it's, the main. Yeah, yeah. But he just ends the movie also being nasty. Like yeah. I want to see the dead body. Yeah. Like yeah. I feel like he's the secret villain in this. You know, I, not so secret, but yeah, not so secret. Yeah, screw that guy. Vanessa Marcel's that your name? Marcel. Marcel. See, I'm I'm way off. Goodspeed's girlfriend, or AKA Carla, the prom queen. Right? Did yes. we ever get her last name? No. I just call I, her, I call her Carl, the prom queen. Prom queen yeah. um, this is actually her first movie. Oh. oh yeah. yeah she, she was in General Hospital. She yes. was in General Hospital. Gail Hardy used to watch other, General two Hospital. Other shows, my mom. Two other major shows, though. Well, one's not so much major. Las Vegas. But if you can get the other one, I'll drink my wine right now. You really want to drink you that really wine. You really want to drink tonight. You want me on that wall. You need you, to drink I that wine. I feel like you told me what. It's only digits, by the way. That helps out. Look, man, if you want to drink so much, you don't have to whine about it. 24, 24. No, 90210. Damn it. Yeah, she took uh, Tiffany Amber Thiessen's character, I guess, as like an ice, I don't, I don't know how that all worked out. Oh. She actually has a kid with uh, Brian Austin Green. Yes, Megan you know Fox's that? husband, yeah. yeah. She's hot in this movie, by the way. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> <laughs> for, not, for 1996, she was hot, I was going to say, yes. I like how you're looking at me for validation. I was like, okay. <laughs> she's not attractive? No, she's gorgeous. Okay, right. uh, David Morse plays Major Tom Baxter. I'm a fan of that guy. He's in like Green Mile. Yes. Uh, he's the villain yes. in Disturbia, all that stuff. He, I, he's one of those guys that plays. He's in a bunch of great movies. He's in a movies. bunch of movies, but yeah. he's that supporting role that where people are like, I know that guy. I've seen him before. Form, but I don't know his name. Yeah. And he actually gets typecast in a lot of films too. He's always, he gets typecast. He's always playing either some military or some kind of militant police type guy. Oh, but he's got yeah, that he's got right. that look about yeah. him though that yeah. makes sense. Um William Forsyth, is that how you say his Ooh, name? Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. FBI agent Ernest Paxton, okay. Um I think he's great in this movie. You like him. Yeah. Favorite character. Yeah, but he actually gotten a little like I don't I wouldn't say trouble, but he's they've been shooting for 2 weeks and he went to get a hot dog and one of the people like whatever that's working on the set's like no no there's no hot dogs for extras and he's like what and i guess they had to call security cuz they didn't realize this guy was like a star in the movie you know um, i think he has the best quote in the whole movie you know well it's debatable but i just want to know who's says, declining people hot dogs yeah. Like. yeah like i mean it's a hot dog right <laughs> like we got to we got to get a pa on one of our episodes to figure out how that works yeah. i mean they have all craft services i'm sure there's a shit ton of food this guy just wants a fuck a hot dog and a and soda. And saying, who's the asshole and, that's and, like, we don't yeah, give and hot he, dogs? He, he actually said, too, he goes, let me get this straight. You don't know that I'm on this movie for two weeks, but then what are the extras eating? If I can't get a hot dog, that means what the hell are they eating? You right. know, like They actually had to call security on it. I, I guess it was pretty funny. but What's his line, though? You're saying... You're uh, and when he goes, he has a gun, sir. And he goes, what do you have, a fucking water pistol? I think it's great, <laughs> dude. It's so great. Um, 
Anyways, uh, let's get it moving forward. Uh, Michael Bean, uh, he's a Navy SEAL in the movie. I think he's like the head Navy SEAL. Mm-hmm. This is actually his third time that he's actually played a SEAL. Do you guys know the other two movies? No. No. The Abyss. Will you chug your wine if we guess it? Well, you know, you don't have it. I already said The Abyss and the movie Navy SEALs. Oh, I never yeah. saw that one. So. Yeah, I was going to say there was one, so either of them. Either, so. yeah. They actually did use real Navy SEALs, however, in the scene of stealing the VX poison gas. There's actually real Navy SEALs in that whole scene. I thought that was interesting. Um, I don't know. Let's see what you guys think about this. Do you guys know who Stanley Anderson is? He's no. the guy that plays no. the president in this movie. Okay, mm. he orders a law airstrike approved. He's yeah. also in another movie. Yes, he's also the president in another movie. Oh yes, he is. Armageddon, no. which is what they bring up. This is a Michael Bay universe. This president has like it's like the bull, I don't. They kind of it's really interesting. So he got reelected. Interview universes before Marvel did. Then yeah, I mean, that I, it's it's interesting. There's like a Michael Bay universe, and this president went through the Alcatraz rock incident, also Armageddon. I mean, he had some tough fucking decisions. If only they brought him back for Transformers, because they mentioned the presidents a lot in like right. every movie. Oh, yeah, Wouldn't yeah, that yeah. be so great? That would have been great. And what if he's like somehow in Bad Boys 1 and 2? I mean, I think it'd be awesome, <laughs> dude, you know? Um, anyways, uh, Cage and Harris also started another film together. Can you guys guess that one? National, National Treasure, Book, Book of, of Secrets. Secrets. Yes. Yeah. Here's why I bring that up. There's a guy that gets his car stolen by Sean Connery, um, do you want to take this? Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, that, that, yeah, I was telling Jay, Jay, You can't see us, but Jason's really mad right now. I was like pointing at Holly because I, ju- I was just telling Holly this like an hour ago. I was like, there's there's a scene where um, Sean Connery steals a Humvee yes. from a guy at the hotel, and Ed Harris steals a car from the same guy right, in, Book in, of in National Treasure Book yeah. of Secrets. So they introduce the same guy it's, in both it's, movies. It's the Michael Bay universe, man. I'm telling you, dude, this guy... <laughs> Did Michael but, Bay do Book of Secrets? No, it's not. It's Jerry Bruckheimer. I'm, my so bad. I don't even know so why it's I did not that. The, yeah. So it's not the Michael Bay universe. Stop judging. Stop yelling at <laughs> yeah, me. I don't remember any explosions <laughs> in Book of Secrets. Those are cool facts, Holly. Jeez. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> can I can I move forward or what? No. <laughs> All right. Chug your wine. <laughs> Going back to the script, uh, Sean Connery actually brought in his own writing team, a British screenwriting team, to rewrite his lines. I don't know if they changed a lot of them though. Do you guys know if they did? Well, I know we, they didn't get writing team. credits, so we don't know. Yeah. Well, well, I I was reading that they changed a lot of it, but I also read that initially the script was written where Sean Connery's character was. Uh, a U.S. agent that got oh, arrested. Oh, that's Then they changed it. And then they oh. changed it, and then they, yeah, so that he brought his own writing team for right, that. question. Yes. Has Sean Connery ever done an American accent in a film? Not that I know of. Not that I know of either. I mean, so, why would you want So they would have just kept his, like, Scottish accent then. Because, I, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and also Jean-Claude Van Damme are, like, notorious for playing American military men. Right. You know, homegrown, red, white, and blue type guys, but they clearly have European accents. So I wonder if, like, he would have just played an American with a Scottish accent. Interesting. I, I, mean, uh, I mean, yeah, that's an interesting point, but I've never seen Sean Connery do... Like an, an American, American accent. accent. I think, I think the, I, I the, the sell of Sean Connery, though, is his yeah, accent. Yeah. That's I mean, part of his brand. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just SNL, like the they guys. all make fun. Of, I mean, they, they, they make fun of it. They parody a lot. I mean, it's like... It's, yeah, it's just like, it's just it's like the other guys. You just... That suspension of disbelief is gone. You're like, fuck it. Arnold's got an Austrian accent. He's American. I believe it. Maybe that's yeah. just how they were going to go yeah. with it. I don't know. Um, going to Nicolas Cage's character... He had this idea that since he was a doctor, chemical weapon, he, he wasn't going to have any swear words for his character. Did you guys read that? Yeah. Yep. So no char- and, and so he says gee whiz a lot and other adaptations. Um, my favorite is when, 
what do you say we cut the chit chat a hole? He doesn't even yeah. say that. I, I think it's I liked, great. I like. I personally like. What in the name of Zeus's butthole? So that's great that you said that right now because did you know that Michael Bay hated that line? Hated it. He wanted it out. Nick Cage sold it to me. He's like, yeah, no, he this, is no, like this is staying in the movie. Yeah. What but I feel like this is the start of Nick Cage. Like, remember we talked about in Con Air how he designed his character and like made an accent and like created all attributes of his of the character. And then now he's doing the same thing with this one. Like, he's a scientist. I don't think he should swear. It's just Nick Cage designing a character. I think he does swear at the very, very end, though. I think he does say Didn't one. Did he say fuck something? Yeah, I think he said it one time, yeah. 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 But anyways, um, this is something that I think is really interesting. Um, Bay also worked closely with Ed Harris's character in the script and all that to give his character a more sympathetic side, which mm-hmm. I feel like it's very noticeable. I mean, at the very end, it's, it's almost like you don't hate, you know, his... what. I mean, I, I don't know. I, what do you guys think? I, I, I think it really worked, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It yeah. humanizes him because yeah. he, he's supposed to be the main villain, but then he kind of works against that. So, yeah. Yeah, like he's not as, he's not willing to go as far as the more reckless individuals he's kind of contracted to do right. like his dirty work with. Right. Like, if you notice, like, he doesn't have a weapon the entire film until he points a gun, I think, at Sean Connery towards no, the no, middle. No, it wasn't Sean Connery. It was the other... Tom Baxter, who they yes, his character. Yes. Oh, okay. When yeah. they are talking about, you know, stand down, Captain. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's right. Yeah. But, yeah. I, but I also think there's a human element about Ed Harris in this because it's not... He's not doing this for personal gain. Mm-hmm. He's not doing it to make himself richer. He's doing it for a cause yeah. that we all can see. That yeah. we all can be like, hey, these people He's on got a point. these people on Talk Secret Ops, like their families are kind of just left high and dry with some bullshit story when they were defending their country and putting their lives on the line and their families are basically left with nothing and they're left in these foreign countries when they've served these missions and not even buried like the heroes that they were. So I think his whole idea and his whole reason why he's doing this, I think it's it's a human aspect where you can see the logic behind it and you see that he's standing for a principle that we all are like, hey, this is bullshit that the US government overlooked. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I feel like there's like some, I don't want to get into my, my trash or treasure with this movie, but just I want to point out a fact that like, it, it, you get some mixed signals though, because like the movie starts out where they're stealing the VX poison gas and all of his operatives on his side have like less than lethal weapons. Mm-hmm. Like they're not What's killing. What's the one where they, they, they shoot the balls at the guy that jumps out of the tower? Like what the hell was yeah, that? Yeah, they shoot like a like a concussion ball <laughs> yeah. or something yeah. at him. Yeah. But, but hey, these darts wear off. Yeah. No, you're right, Jason. Yeah, but 30 minutes, yeah. Yeah, everything is less than lethal. So yeah. they're not killing anyone. Mm-hmm. So it's, they're not shooting. But then they get to Alcatraz and everyone's armed with AK-47. Yeah, live ammunition. Yeah. And then, obviously, you know, Nick Cage and Sean Connery's team come in, and they have, like, real weapons, and they shoot. I, I don't know. And then they, they like, well, Ed I Harris. he didn't want them to no. kill those seals. He, I know. It's just, it's just, inter- it's just yeah. kind of mixed, you know? It's yeah. like, you're, you're obviously you have hostages on, on Alcatraz, but it's like, so, like, do you really need these weapons? And then, I don't know. It's just interesting, like, yeah. the, the, the change from, you know, the less than lethal to then to live ammunition, and then there's the SEAL team that comes in, and it's like, no, no, we're going to actually shoot at these guys, so, like, Oh. You know what it is though? I think it's because they and they they probably anticipated the use of lethal force against them, so they made sure that they had lethal force on their side too. But I think um what was his name? Hummel? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hummel wasn't anticipating the need to use it and unfortunately it escalated to that point and they had to use it from then on out. Yeah. 
Because, like, if you notice, like, he didn't want that altercation in the restroom or the bath area. The shower scene. Yeah, the shower scene. Like, he didn't he, he didn't want him, anything like that. He said multiple times, this is the last time I'm asking you. And, like, normally when it's you say, this is the last time, this is the last time. He said this is the last time, like, three times. Yeah, and those well, guys. And, and he never actually gives the order he doesn't. to fire him. The yeah. brick falls, and they just start going at it. And he's screaming yeah. ceasefire, yeah. and... They continue yeah. to fire. But, but I know it's a movie, and, and, and it is what it is. But it's like I just thought that was kind of interesting, like the way that they they start off with that way, then they they, they transfer to, you know, real ammunition. I mean, knowing that there's not only hostages, but there's all of these severely crazy ass we- weapons of mass destruction all around them. It's like you think you would be a little more cautious, especially now too. I mean, he does send the school kids back on the boat before they they take everybody and hostage. That, I think that's a great oh. scene for his character. Yeah. You know? One yeah. Thing, oh, yeah, no, go back to the city because when I shoot the rocket at you, <laughs> then yeah, I'll kill yeah. you. Dude. It's like, <laughs> come on, man. Like, well, no, he was... Really? He was, like, did he really well, what, save them? What, what, but he was never girls. planning... He was never planning on hitting the city to begin with yeah, anyway. Yeah. So. But what little girl's not going to be like, hey, that man over there said we need to leave. Like, the, the teacher's going to be like, what the hell's going <laughs> on over here? I mean, come on. There should have been a red flag right then and there. And you know? you're dealing with a ton, like a, like a, a team of crazy crazy people and like you you have this secret hidden agenda mm. but no one knows this and it's like there's all these rockets that people can just launch I don't know it's like hey no 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 you little kids go back to the city play like as long as you can <laughs> I, one thing I don't want to get into trash or treasure but I do have one thing I think um I think either to Holly or Jason's point where we talk about the the use of lethal force and whether it's necessary or not um, you know, when they hold the gun to one of the hostages heads like oh I'm a father of three all that couldn't they just like you know, shoot the gun and just take him away to make Sean Connery and Nick Cage think that they killed him. Cause like, why now do you want to kill a civilian if, you know, you diverted the missile, you did all this other stuff and now you want to point a gun at a dude's head and you're, and like your guys are really going to shoot. I know his men were willing to yeah. shoot, but he wasn't, but you know. Interesting. Anyway. It's interesting. Yeah, I didn't, well, mean, I didn't mean to sidetrack there. But. No, that's fine. Yeah, let's, let's move on. Um, shooting the movie. Um, I, this is a big thing. I guess there was tension. I, I I got that Disney was behind. The, it wasn't Disney though of the production agency or the studio that it wasn't Disney or I they, were they affiliated I, with it. Buena Vista uh, is a Disney run studio. Oh okay, so yes. that's what. because so, I had that Disney was concerned with the way things were operating. I guess from their point of view, um, they were concerned about production whether he was doing a good job, and he was actually called in for a meeting because of this. Connery just happened to be like. Was he already playing golf, or he was getting ready? I, I think I think he was coming back from playing. And golf. he was in golf attire, and he talked to Bay. He said, well, "Can I attend the meeting with you?" And Bay insisted, and so they went to the meeting together. I guess the studio execs just the jaws dropped when Sean Connery walked in. They're like, "What the heck?" Yeah. And Connery in this meeting, from what I read, um, stood up for Bay and told the studio, "Leave him alone. He's doing a good job." Yeah. You know, and which was amazing. I mean, I think that's His you're Scottish an A-list accent. actor, yes. and he, you're like. A-list actor. I'm sorry, I don't want to just say it there. Yeah. But you're this guy, and like you go in, like no, dude, leave him. Alone. I think that's kind of cool. And he also he also produced the film too. He's also one of the producers too. Yeah. So he definitely had a stake in it as yeah. well. But I like that he stood up for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so shooting this thing, they did have a set that they did. Do you guys know a little fun fact about that set that they had, or the stage that they were shooting part of this movie on? Mm-hmm. It was also the same stage where they shot The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, I guess it was such a, like an immaculate like um, set that people kept trying to come in and like 
like watch or see the scene. And so it really disrupted like a lot of things. But they did go to a lot of locations, which I love about this movie. A lot actually took place on Alcatraz Island. Yes. Um, because it's a national park, they couldn't actually close it down. And because production was behind, they end up somehow getting the authorization to close it down for like, I think two weeks is what I read to finish all the scenes that they wanted to do. There was a partial fe- uh, federal shutdown. Is that what it was? Yeah. Okay. Was, yeah. yeah. And so they actually shut it down for a little bit. Um, then they were able to finish what they want. The crew would travel back and forth by a company called red and white fleet. And they would take the, take and pick up tours, but also the cast and crew member. I mean, imagine going to do a tour of, you know, Alcatraz, and there, there's Nicolas Cage. Oh, we're kind of, I think that was kind of interesting. Do you know who did not want to do the trip back and forth? Sean, Sean Connery. Connery. There it is. Yes. Right. You guys got it. Is anyone yes. want to take this, or you guys want me to talk no, about No, so it? I read that Sean Connery was like above the commute back and forth between not having Alcatraz yeah. and the mainland, and he was basically like, I want a trailer on Alcatraz. I don't want to do this I, commute. So you said, tra- I read he actually had a cabin built. That's what I read too. That he had he had yeah, a, a cabin, or, cabin yeah, or home on Al- on like you're that the shit that you have a cabin built it's on Alcatraz. Sean you know? Connery. Yes. Yes. It's James Bond. You know. I Come mean, on. no, yeah. I I read it was a tra- he had a trailer just set up so that he could just stay, but a cabin is way more baller. Baller. There but I, but I was reading too that like you're right. There's tours going on daily for this. Yeah. So like there's three thousand people a day that visit Alcatraz Island. So really? so it's like they're having to shoot outside these two weeks that there's this you know partial federal government it, shutdown. I, I thought it was two weeks. That's what I thought I read. Is it more? I th- I did Two weeks. I said, hey, here, get what you need to get done. That's all you're getting. I mean, I don't. I read it was more happenstance. Like it happened, so they took advantage of it. Oh, okay. Every other day, they're trying to have to shoot around all of these tourists being on the island too. I thought that was crazy. I, I think if that. you watch the scene where they're first getting on the actual island at Harris's character, you can see in the background like the red and white. I think it's the red and white. What do they call it? A fleet is it the company. You can see them in the background like dropping off more tourists. Like I think people are like in this movie they didn't even realize it. <laughs> But anyways, um, they did film on location, a lot of in San Francisco, um, one being the car chase, also where Connery meets his daughter. I don't know what the name of that place is. It's, a, it's an actual, is it a monument or a park or what? It's like a, I forget what it is, but it's, it's a famous place in San Francisco. But they also, they also actually went to the Fairmont Hotel. So that scene is interesting because Mason throws Womack off of the balcony and when they were actually doing that, I guess it led to numerous calls like, hey, something's going, going down yeah. at, the, at the Fremont Hotel. Like they were like, what's going on? Which if I'm a guest there, I see I'm calling too. you know, I'm kind of saying if you see something, say yeah, something I'm like kind of, I'm kind of like upset because we went to San Francisco and I'm really wishing that we would have gone to see this part. But but whatever. Um, the chase scene. This uh, is is interesting. Um, Bay has said that this is one of his toughest scenes that he's ever directed. Um, in order to even like get this scene done, he had to get 5,000 signatures in order just to do it. Damn. So 5,000 signatures in San Francisco. They blocked off a couple blocks in order to like obviously do what they did. The residents around there, this is weird. I don't understand how, if I'm living in San Francisco and they want to do, okay, send me off on a vacation. For some, what I saw, what I read, that they actually paid for the residents around there, a free valet and dry cleaning. Which I don't get. I don't. I don't like. No, why you gotta. That? You gotta accommodate people. Like, so no, no, they did accommodate, them, but oh, I'm yeah. like, I want something other than dry cleaning and like. Val- I don't. I, I don't mean, you gotta think about it though. Works, it's just you like know? you. I mean, you probably have to go yeah. blocks for your dry cleaning, or like maybe around the corner or something. So you think like that's why they gave it to. Them? It's a nice gesture because like like having been okay. on like 
commercial sets, it's a real inconvenience to the people that live in an area when you shoot in a residential area. So I think I think that's good on them for accommodating the people. That no, I, I agree accommodating them. But I mean, I just thought like, hey, we want to take this over. You guys go on a vacation. I, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, yeah. but it was like dry cleaning and valet. Yeah, right, hey, cool. that's cool with me. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, another major scene that I got was at the very, very end, how they filmed it. It was the explosion of Alcatraz. Have you guys seen how they did that scene? Mm-hmm. So they, they, there's three parts to it. They actually have a helicopter aerial scene of Alcatraz, which is what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. Then they had in a parking lot a blue sheet they put down with a crane. They did an explosion. That's the, and they put those together. Then they also had CGI'd in the actual um, airplanes that they have, which I'll get to in a second what that is. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was interesting. You know, it's, they put three things together. Um, the most famous, iconic part of that movie is when Nicolas Cage is doing the green smoke. And you see the five, back me up on this if you've read this or if you see something different, tell me. That's not even Nicolas Cage. Really? Oh, I, I didn't read that either. I think oh. it's a different actor, and they were filming that, and then they input everything, and they just did that all on its own because it was a different team that was doing that. I don't think it's Nicolas Cage oh, actually doing the like, green smoke. It's, it's like, probably like second unit. Yeah, yeah. you know. Oh, so, and I'm like, it's on the goddamn DVD cover. <laughs> it's like the famous scene, you know. But but they went. They show in detail how they actually do the uh, the airplanes or the jets. Sorry, they're not. You know, and, and it's it's pretty impressive, you know. But but I don't know. Um, speaking of the jets, though, here's the aircraft in the film. First of all, there is a lot of helicopters in this movie. Mm-hmm. Jerry Bruckheimer made Michael Bay take a lot of it out. Did you guys know that? So no. what you see now, there's so much more helicopters than there are actually in the movie that he just, you got to cut this out because it's going to be all helicopters. There's a drinking game that I'm told is like every time you see a helicopter, you have to take a shot. And it's bad. I try to look it up. I couldn't find it, though. But yeah. there are rock drinking games. If you guys want to look that up. Um, Information that would have been useful yesterday. <laughs> yeah. They actually use what you guys see is F-18s. That's where they have the dual tail on the back slanted. Mm-hmm. The Air Force never had these, which they are confirming i think in the movie that the air force is the one doing the airstrike i believe I believe so the air force didn't have those they had f-16s which is the single tail mm-hmm. if you guys know blue angels thunderbirds that's what the difference is mm-hmm. the dual tail yeah um bay was informed of the inaction but he didn't care because he said they look cool which i completely agree with him you know they look so cool um the part where you see the green smoke that's cgi along with when it's going above alcatraz but there is some real scenes where they're flying and all that I'm wondering, I could not, if you guys found this out, when they go underneath the Golden Gate Bridge, is that real or is that fake? I don't know, but I read that a lot of the footage was stock. Like they pulled a lot of footage from okay. other things and filled it in. And put I, it in I'm the hoping movie. it's real because it's, it's the coolest looking thing. I know the part where the green smoke is mm-hmm. and when they're after the explosion, that's all CGI. I can, I can confirm that, but I could not find anything about the other stuff. By the way, I'm just going to put out there it's so hard to research this film because of the Dwayne, the Rock Johnson. Like, I hate yes. it. Like, I could not get <laughs> yes. I don't want to talk about that rock. I want to talk about the rock, you know? Yeah, but, and if you type in like yeah. the rock movie, you get Jumanji, yeah. Rampage, yeah. all that other shit. Um, I typed in the rock analysis and then it was like, what? Dwayne Drum? Yeah. Dwayne the Rock Johnson eats so, on a daily basis. So I thought I thought that was interesting. Um, there's a couple other things, but I think Jason, you researched a scene right of the underwater part. Do you have that? Or? Yeah. So there's a pretty cool underwater part um, that happens. I would say around the middle of the movie. So some of it is obviously what they call wet for wet. So like the actors are actually in the water and they're filming some of it. But they wanted to get some different kind of footage, some bigger, some broader angle footage. 
And what they did was they actually created models. So I don't know if you guys remember the part where they show, you know, Nick Cage, Sean Connery, they get out of the helicopter, they go into the water, Mm -hmm. and they're going to go infiltrate Alcatraz from underneath. There's a part where the camera angle is from behind. And you see scuba divers kind of swimming and, and flipping their flippers, and they're also on like these... These, these watercrafts are able to operate underwater. Mm-hmm. Well, again, when they first, they initially get out, the scene is from the front. Again, that's the wet for wet part. And like they, again, you don't see a lot of bubbles. I guess there's military grade scuba gear where you don't get bubbles, bubbles from the scuba gear. So that that's actually pretty accurate. Um, when they filmed it, there was bubbles, they were testing it. But it, like when we see it for real, when there's not a lot of bubbles, it's supposed to be stealthy like that. We don't see bubbles. But from the behind scene, uh, again, this scene is super quick. Like it's not, it's not a lengthy scene. So- and, and I know what you're talking about, what you're saying. And I tried to rewatch it today. I've watched this movie like three times as it was looping. I watched that scene. I can't even tell the difference. Yeah, he it's, was telling me this. And I was like, well. it's a 15 second segment. And he was telling me it was done by like marionettes almost. And I was like, I would never even think that. I know. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So again, I'll, I'll try to, I have a whole page on this. I'm going to keep it kind of quick. But again, again, the wet, what they call, you know, it, the wet for wet is when they're actually in the water filming. But the dry for wet is when they're filming when it's supposed to seem like it's underwater, but it's actually people outside the water. So again, they want to get, you know, bigger shots, wider angles. So they actually use like models and like a marionette kind of style puppets for the scuba divers. Mm. Um, so they weighted them down. They put wires on them. They actually brought in like real like people that are puppeteers or people that... <laughs> is that, <a> <laughs> that That's what and they get. Jason is literally dingling his hands <laughs> while he's saying this. Yeah, so... Geppetto over here. <laughs> so that's what they called them. Uh, puppeteers are, are, are professional people that do marionettes and they spent time to figure out, you know, how to make the flippers move and these these models move in a way that it looked natural in the water. They, they created and built a whole aquatic background. I think the most challenging but cool part when you know now is the lighting yeah i I, I thought the lighting was the coolest part so again they built this whole like underwater yeah underwater like stage this aquatic stage but they built this whole apparatus i think it measured like 96 feet by 70 feet and there are cranes there are huge wooden planks that operate like the marionette hands like the marionette apparatuses that are holding all of the figures um, but the lighting was the coolest part because they cut like these big wooden planks and they cut these odd shapes and they shine light through it. And even these wooden planks were on these these apparatuses. So as the divers were moving, also these planks are moving with the light. So the lights refracting different ways as the divers. I mean, it's really intricate for just a short scene. For 15 it's, seconds. It, it's it's yeah. insane. So again, uh, there's a total of 56 different axes of motion control. Jesus. Again, three cranes, multiple bridges, that huge apparatus I was talking about. Each different diver had different motors on him. Again, the lights were my favorite part. They're they're manipulated with different filters to get that kind of blue look like they're underwater. Again, they're trying to get, I think, about a visual perspective of 30 feet underwater. After everything, they had to go back and edit all the wires, all of, of the cables, uh, and then they, they put in digital like bubbles behind all of the divers. 
and the the crafts carrying everyone. But I, I just thought, you know, when you watch this film, it's hard to pick that out. I would have never thought this happened, but they said they shot it. And I don't know much about film or shooting anything. So maybe Kerwin, if you can help me out, but they said that they shot at a rate of eight to 16 seconds per frame or per second or eight. Is that, so, does that sound right? So did they shoot at a lower frame rate or a higher frame rate? I think it's a lower frame rate because they said this whole scene took about an hour and a half to shoot. But when you look at it, they're moving really quickly through the water. So I think they moved them really slowly to create that. Maybe it's at eight, eight to 16 frames per second. Is what oh, so they shot it slower. They, they shot, shot it slower. slower. Yeah. Yeah. But they said the whole, that whole sequence, which is again, insanely short mm-hmm. for all of the, this whole page of notes, uh, just to get this one shot, but I shot it really slow, but I think it's just to manipulate every one of the marionettes as, as slowly as possible to make it look like they're really swimming. Yeah. Water. So they, they shot it slower so that when they speed it up to, I think, was it 24, 48? I forget which one. I think it's 24. When you speed it up, they'll move a lot faster. Yeah, yeah. but I, it's just weird that it took. I, I guess a director. Are you like, man? This is just the, fuck it. We're just, let's just go on. I mean, <laughs> well, come on. The video I'm watching too. The guy's like, well, I gave everyone else, you know, on the cast and crew a break while we're doing this kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah. you're saying it took an hour and a half to shoot like the marionettes, but it took it would take like a whole like group of dudes trying to scuba dive. Yeah, I think it took weeks and like it took a few weeks to put all this together. But the actual shot itself, they shot it over an hour and a half. But because they shot it so slowly, it only amounts to, again, 10 to 15 seconds. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. That, that's a lot of detail. I, I, I recommend everyone watch the scene and see if you can distinguish between the two because it's, it's pretty hard to do. Speaking of editing this movie, the editor of this movie is Richard Francis Bruce. Have you guys ever heard of him? I've never heard of him. Nope. No. So this guy has a resume. He Ooh. has done seven Shawshank Air Force One, and he's actually been nominated for Academy Awards. I don't think he's won. I couldn't think that. I just nominated. The reason why I'm bringing this up, though, the average shot for this movie is 2.6 seconds. (laughs) I think that we have to blame this on the chase scene, (laughs) which I'll get to. I mean, but that is a short clip average. I mean, 2.6 seconds. I mean, he also did Oblivion. Did he really? Yeah. He, Fuck, I like him. This wait, guy's wait. my favorite guy. But he also did Fifty Shades Darker and Fifty Shades Freed. Oh. No, he did not. He did. I said, I don't want to hear that number ever again, and you had to bring it up. 49.999. Bleep out the 50. Bleep out the 50. 51 Shades of So after this is all said and done, I like this with the studio, Michael Bay, all that. They actually did the, a movie premiere on the actual island of Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. They put it in the exercise yard. Um, they shipped over cranes, the projector, all that stuff. Thought that was interesting. One thing that I want to get, the day that they actually premiered the movie, not premiered, I'm sorry, the, released it, mm-hmm. June, was it June 7th? June 7th, yes. June 7th. Uh, that's when the soundtrack came out. The soundtrack to me, released on June 7th, 1996 by Hollywood Records, Hans Zimmer is a part of this. Yes. And I'm Ooh. like, now I understand why, like, this is like, you'll see, it's one of my treasures, but a guy named Nick Smith, Hans Zimmer, and Harry Williams were the principal composers with additional music composed by Don Harper and Stephen M. Stern. The main theme, Homo Gets the Rockets, which I own, like, I actually bought it, you know, mm-hmm. um, was composed by Hans Zimmer and Nick Smith, which I think is impressive. You know, I, I love the soundtrack, I love everything about it, but. I think when you think action film, and you listen to that, yeah. I, there's something like just so cool about it. I, I see Holly shaking her head right now, but 
just laughing because Mugga bought it. <laughs> well, you don't own. I, no, you don't, I, I, not only do I buy it on iTunes. When I when I this movie came out, I bought the CD compact disc. That is, yeah. Ooh, I think it was ten nine. It, it's a great soundtrack. It is. I didn't go that far, but wow. I think I have the song. <laughs> you Thank watched you, Fifty Shades the trilogy, and you're gonna. Look at me like this. All right, all right. Like, come on. All right, you really I'm just gonna I'm just gonna preface this. You really wanna throw stones right now. No, if you really wanna throw down, no, like no, no, just no. know who your opposition is. Your voice sounds awesome, by the way. Thank you so much. No, Holly, I'm getting over a flu, so Holly, I know we're reviewing the rock. You don't need to throw stones. <laughs> I love it. I love it so all much. Right. Thank so you, Corn, for that. That's what I got a lot about this movie. There's so much that I think we'll get into. Jason, I know you researched this controversy regarding Britain and Iraq, Saddam Hussein, all that stuff. Yes. With it. So there, there's two controversies. One's kind of short. I mean, not really a controversy, but um, the UK version had a lot of scenes cut. Did you guys read about that? I did. No, the I part where he that. throws the knife in the guy's throat. The knife to the throat shot. Um, the gunshots to the feet when they're in the morgue. And he shoots his feet. Um, the AC unit falling in the morgue as well right after that. Like, why would they take that out? And then the snapping of the neck. So w- when I say all those scenes, who does all those scenes? Sean Connery. And I don't know if that's because it's Sean Connery. When I was reading that, and I'm like, that's all Sean Connery scenes. And I don't know if it's because They're trying like, to preserve their boy. That's what I'm saying. Are they? Are, is that the reason that they're doing that? Maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, I can't figure out a reason besides that. I mean, I know the UK must have violent so films. They, they left the sex scene on top of the rooftop in according to what I read that was not a scene that was cut yeah so they left that in I, like they're trying it. to protect their own like, and I'm saying Sean Connery if like he was an American I would protect him like an American treasure so I understand why the UK did that right. but I mean like he's he's a badass in this movie like why not show that stuff never hesitate yeah <laughs> <laughs> so I'll try to keep this short but the bigger controversy that I was reading about was involving the Iraqi chemical weapon program. According to what I read, the British Secret Service was led to believe that Saddam Hussein was continuing to build weapons of mass destruction, but the, the biological chemical kind. Um, the chemical warfare. Yeah, the chemical warfare by a false uh, Iraqi agent who based his actions on the movie according to, I don't know how to pronounce this, the... Chill, the Chilcot Inquiry. Yeah. So I'm going to sum this up real quick. He <laughs> thought it was real, right? Yeah. yeah so th- this agent, this, this false agent, uh, tried to tell the British Secret Service, their intelligence agency, that, that Iraq was continuing to build these weapons based off of the movie, almost shot for shot, based on these VX poison gas rockets. So in 2002, an MI6 chief, his name was Sir Richard Dearlove, said that he had received the info. <laughs> Wait, uh, say his name again, say his name again. Sir, Sir Richard Dearlove. Oh, I, I like him already. I can't, it's like Stanley Goodspeed. Uh, I couldn't write this if I tried. Pretty, pretty cool names in this, I huh? couldn't write this if I tried. Uh, um, but he, he received the info uh, of Iraq ramping up their weapons of mass destruction production. Um, so Chief Sir Richard told uh, Joint Intelligence Committee that, uh, the British Joint Intelligence Committee, that there were uh, significant intel breakthrough um, that was a key to unlock Iraq's chemical biological weapons program. So the weird thing is, you know, when you get info like this, Again, I was never in the military, but I would imagine that if you get info like this, that you're going to vet it, that you're yeah. going to like 
check, double check, triple check to make sure that, hey, like, is this something false? It's a big accusation right yeah. there, right? It's a huge, I mean, okay, so again, I started out this with, this is in 2002, so we know yeah. 9-11 had just happened. Uh, we're, I mean, U.S. is already going and saying Iraq had a part in this. So it's like, when you say this stuff, yeah. I would imagine like, yes, you know, senses are already heightened, right. but when you when you hear about this, it's like, okay, we gotta check this out to make sure this is real or not. Um, Sir Richard did not do this. Um, <laughs> So, Sir Richard. Uh, Sir Richard did zero. I, that's what I wrote. Sir Richard did zero vetting of the intelligence and just pass it on to Tony Blair. So Tony Blair, I was unaware, was the British Prime Minister um, at the time. So there was already other um, accusations floating around that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction within 45 miles of being launched into Britain. Like there, there was all kinds of other stuff, but this is just another thing adding on top. Um, questions arose when the false agent's claims had a very striking resemblance to the movie. So someone pointed out the unusual similarities between the glass that was used to hold, I don't know if you guys, you know, you remember like there's those yes. elegant strands of pearls. The neon, green ones. The, the, the green neon ones. Green the ones that look like bath beads. Liquid, yes. yes. Yeah. Just to point out that I looked up VX poison gas or VX sarin gas and yes. it's actually an amber color. I don't know why they use green, yeah. but this stuff does exist. And it's it's an, a movie. I know. I know green looks crazier and looks more toxic, but it actually yes. comes in an amber color. But yeah, so someone pointed out like, hey, like, that looks like something that they had seen before. By February 2003, a month before the invasion of Iraq, MI6 concluded that the agent was lying over a long time, but I mean, they still went ahead and invaded. So I'm not saying that this directly impacted you know, British intelligence and, and led them to war, but there was something else that added on top of it. When you look, so co-writer Weisenberg said, if any chemical weapons expert, anyone were to look at this, they'd be like, hey, this is bullshit. And quote unquote, it was ludicrous. Like if someone were to believe this, like they're out of their fucking minds. Like they would know right away that this is not real because they do not store these kind of chemical weapons in this way. Like this is just for the movie. What's the guy's name that did this? The Sir what? Sir Richard. Sir Richard Dearlove. Sir, Sir Richard Dearlove fucked up, right? I mean, that's the way I'm getting. Like, Dear God. <laughs> Make me a bird. There you go, bling. Coming in. No, but it's like, it, it's it's weird that like someone with, you know, a huge, like a high level of clearance that he can reach the prime minister so quickly that doesn't vet any of this info. Right. He just passes it along like nothing doesn't tell anyone else. And I'm not saying that it directly led to the war, but it's something that I would say was icing on the cake, I maybe. Just, I think it led to a time, like after 9-11 especially, just was like high tension, and it's just another thing to add on. Jurassic Park can happen. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just, I just think that all because of this movie. <laughs> it's so impactful. I mean, imagine this is what, 96? So you're yeah. talking like seven years later. He saw it on FX and got excited. <laughs> I know. But yeah, that's all about. I have that for that uh, controversy. Awesome. Anyone else got any uh, behind the scenes? No. We're good. Kerwin, you want to take it? That we go to experiences. Man, who should go first? Who, I never go. Kerwin, you first. go first. You always go. You never go first. Hey, Kerwin, what was your experience with The Rock? Uh, well, uh, it's one of those movies that you just see on TV. You know, you're a kid. I think I must have been in like fourth or fifth grade when this came out. Um, so you know, this this kind of movie was always being previewed on the pay-per-view channel nonstop. 
and I remember seeing it like much later in middle school on I think like network TV or something and I really never touched it since then um, we decided to review the movie for this episode and I watched it this morning at 8.30 in the morning uh, you did send us a text yes what did the text say I forgot <laughs> okay I'm 15 minutes into this movie yes. it's fucking awesome yes <laughs> yeah that was that was the text yeah. I did love that text message it was great yeah um, yeah but um, I had a good time watching it um, you know I'll get into a little bit of you know how I felt during Trash of Treasure but overall this movie rocks there it is Jesus. there it is Jason what's your experience with The Rock so I know we did Con Air a while back I watched that with my mom this one I actually watched with my dad so uh, again I think when this came out I was around 10 and yeah so when it was in theaters I was 10 but I watched it a few years later uh, with my dad and I think he had bought the DVD he had a huge collection of DVDs I remember watching this one and I, I believe Con Air was my first film watching a Nick Cage movie I think I watched Face Off I felt I like fell in love with it and then I watched The Rock um, I know kind of out of order of how they came out, but I remember, I just, honestly, I remember the music a lot in this. Yeah. I don't, I, I liked Con Air a lot, but something about the music in this, like it always, it makes me think of like a real action movie. I don't know why, like the opening scene when they steal the rockets, the end scene with the green smoke, there's just like weird, there's weird music parts where I'm just like, man, this is a fucking action movie. So I remember seeing that. I remember, you know, I remember the green of the VX gas. Uh, I remember really liking Sean Connery in it, um, but the, 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 a little bit of humor that they, they, they come out with in the movie, but I remember just really liking this movie. And again, I think the music really sticks out in my head for oh. some reason. Oh, yeah. But I watched it, I think, on DVD at my dad's house, and I, I fell in love with it the first time I watched nice. it. Awesome. Muggo, what's your experience? I have kind of two experiences with this movie. I swear I watched this with my cousin. Um, I, I used to go to basketball camp. Of a boy guy. This one time at basketball yeah. camp. And I swear my cousin Kate, um, she was like, Hey, let's go watch this movie. So we had to go watch it. I remember though being like so sick in high school that I was out for a week, right? And this is when this movie was no longer in theaters. It was actually now on um, pay-per-view where they just looped it. It's before the way well, this it is This is 96. Now. So you were what, 23? I was a freshman Jesus in high school. I was a freshman. <laughs> fuck you and your voice. <laughs> I was... I was fist bumping for the people that came. I was 14, all right? But um, I watched this movie because I was the whole week. I, 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 I think I literally had it on loop, you know, and... I just remember just loving, I, I again, piggyback off Jason, the music is great, which I will get into my trash trash. I don't want to do it now, but I think I've watched this movie, I want to say over 200 times, because I have the DVD. Really? 200 times? Jesus. Jason, I think that week, I had it on loop, and I was I was out for, a, I remember I was out for a week, no school, nothing, and it was on, I mean, how many times can you watch this movie? It's two and a half hours? Like... Maybe 20 times that week I watched. It was on loop. I mean, I was sick, and I was kind of laying on the couch or whatever. But I, I, I think, and I own it now. I mean, I've watched it four times a day. Like, just in prep, you know? Like, when, I got, when I got to your place, dude, like, I look up, and The Rock is on the TV, and I'm like, yo, you're watching The Rock. He's like, dude, that shit's been on loop all fucking all day. day. <laughs> it's, it's that good. Yeah, it's that So, good. in conclusion, yeah. don't lick sidewalks, and you won't be out for a week. <laughs> All right, Bling, what's your experience? So this movie holds a special place in my heart. Uh, you have a heart? Yes, I do. Um, this was actually the first film I saw with Nicolas Cage. It was, what? Yes. You saw it with him? This was also the first you film. You saw it with him? No. This is also, you went to the premiere? No. The exercise yard? This is the first film I saw 
Nick Cage in, okay? And this is also the first film I saw Sean Connery in. I did not know he was James Bond prior to this film. Also, really, this is also the first time I saw great sporting actors, uh, David Morrison, William Forsythe, which they get typecast in a lot of films. They're always known as the actors that nobody knows. They've seen films, but they don't know. But really going to this film, the only person I knew going to this film was Ed Harris. And that's because I saw Apollo 13 the previous year. So, Apollo 13 was prior to this? Yes. Oh, yeah. I don't know that. 90, yeah, yeah came right. out in 1995. Um, so I actually saw this movie in theaters with my pops. Which also made the experience a little better because after coming out of the film, my dad was in the, in the Air Force. And he basically oh, cool. pointed out all the inaccuracies in the film. You okay. know? Uh, such as the sarin VX gas. You don't have to get stabbed in the heart with atropine to counteract the effects. You can just inject it into your thigh muscle. Um, Jason pointed out it's not a green color. It's actually you know, an amber color. He also pointed out like naval weapons bases don't label naval weapons on the military bases <laughs> yeah um so he pointed out just a lot of things that you know were inaccurate in the film um so my experience was great with this film because actually six months later also we actually got to go to alcatraz and they actually a lot of their tour was based upon the movie but yeah great Wait, the, time seeing the this tour film. is now based on the movie or it was at the time no at the time you know the tour was a tour but when you actually went on the tour this coming so close to the movie, they actually talked, they referenced a lot of the rock film. Like, this is where they filmed this scene. There's a lot of the scenes where, you know. Kerwin, I'm mad that we didn't get to go. On, <laughs> we, 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 we all went as friends to San Francisco. Yes. Blink, I'm sorry to cut you no, off. We all, went, we all went, and we wanted to go to Alcatraz. But oh, you didn't go? Well, our buddy Jose <laughs> did not plan very well. Nor did we. I mean, we can't credit him to that, but we didn't get, we just went around it yeah. on a ferry. We didn't get to go on. So, but so I don't know I'm how. I'm wondering if the tour is that way now. Like, hey, this is yeah, where they filmed I, I think this. It's been a few years, but I know being so close to the movie. I mean, they kept on referencing The Rock. Like, Jason, you've done the tour, right? Do you remember? So I think I went on the tour around 2001, 2002, and I don't remember a lot of. I don't remember a lot of the tour being about The Rock. Um, the movie, but I remember them talking about a Clint Eastwood movie called Escape from Alcatraz. So they had like one of the cells like set up and I think almost like not dedicated, but they had a lot of like memorabilia and some some info about that movie talking about escapes. But I don't remember about The Rock personally. Yeah. Like when I went, they referenced that movie. It too. might have yeah. been hot. Yeah. At and the I time. think it, yeah. it made sense at the time. I think just that film alone probably increased the tourism for Alcatraz in general. Well, it's like kind of when we all went to Hawaii like two years ago. And uh, I forgot where we went on Oahu, but, you know, they made a lot of mention of Jurassic Park and all that oh, other stuff. Yeah. So I think tourism probably, you know, when you have a movie take place somewhere, I think tourism definitely gets a boost from it. And to capitalize on that, they, they mentioned the hell out of it. Because they didn't movie. mention like, Kong Skull Island a lot. Yes. They mentioned oh, that yeah. a, a shit ton, but it was like that movie had just came out or a year before it came Who, out. Who's so, in that movie? Well, John C. Riley. Oh, shit. That's I, tough. John C. Riley, Samuel was, L. Jackson. The Rock. No, I'm just making a reference to oh. like, the stuff we saw in Hawaii. Oh. Yeah. So, but otherwise, yeah, great. I had a great experience with the film. Um, yeah, that's my experience with the film. Um, I think we're all done with experiences, right? No, no, I, I think we're good. I, I know there's someone just <laughs> glaring at me. Okay, well, I'm hey. Not, Holly I'm Hart. Not, I'm not even making Green eye contact with you. I'm Great not even making eye right contact now. with you. What so, is your experience of this movie? So I'm going to apologize first and foremost because I am getting over the flu and I sound lower than most of the guys here <clears throat> in this podcast. Debatable. Wow. Yeah, uh, sorry. Is that a shot? Well, no. I, <laughs> shots fired. No. I do have a 12-year-old's voice. So. It's, no, you don't. Um, but my experience with this movie is that I've, I've said previously, my parents have very different tastes in movies. And when this movie came out, I remember my dad 
renting it. But the one thing that is different about this movie is that my mother has a very big crush on Sean Connery. Like that is her. On my mom's side of the family, exact same thing. They all love this guy. Oh no. I have a crush on Sean Connery. I do. I mean, as a result. Yeah, I do. Like Sean Connery. Sean Connery is hotter than Nick. Why did you say that that way? I'm sorry, Holly. He, okay. Keep going. Sorry. My voice is deeper. It throws people off. Um, (laughs) That was me talking, not bling. Um, but no, so this is the one action movie of the 90s that I can remember my mom being excited about because she was legitimately like, bust out the popcorn, let's get it popping. Like, wanted to watch Sean Connery in the movie because obviously she loves him. But this was the one movie that like he rented, my mom was excited about. And I remember watching it as a kid and not really understanding it. And then I watched it again yesterday and it was an interesting experience as an adult to rewatch. So I'm excited. I like it. There you go. All right. All right. So let's get into Trash or Treasure. I guess I'm first this time. <laughs> that is so weird. All right. So um, I'm going to get into my treasure uh, this time first. Um, so my treasure, uh, the performances. Uh, I think everybody's on point in this movie. Ed Harris is amazing. Um, my favorite, favorite character in this movie is uh, Forsyth's character, Paxton, I believe yeah. is his name. Yeah. He's my favorite character. You know, you always want your main character to have that guy that's, you know, got his back. You know, even when he tells him that Sean Connery got vaporized, air quotes. Yeah. I, I like that. Like, they just had that little smirk at the end. I was like, yeah. Yeah, he's a cool dude. Um, but he got that hot dog, man. <laughs> I really hope so. He, you know, he he I'm helped like Venmo him a hot dog. Right now. <laughs> he saved the world. Yeah. He deserves that hot dog. Um, but everything was, you know, the performances were great. Um, I did like, <laughs> I did like the moment where Carla proposes to uh, Nick Cage's character, and he's just like, "Whoa, whoa, marriage police, pull over!" Like, <laughs> like I, I died laughing at that quote. Like, I thought it was a pretty fun, funny moment. Um, I mean, as as silly as this is, I I love all the black people yelling in this movie. Like, black people are in this movie just to scream. And there's a part where the dude is like, "What kind of fucked up tour is this?" And then and then you got the lady next to him talking about, "I got a gun. Yeah, it's like, I, I got a gun. If I knew this is gonna happen, I was gonna bring my gun." Help! And then Stop. and then can we talk about the dude on the on the San Francisco trolley? Like I wrote down, I wrote down all his fucking lines. He's just like, "Oh shit, save yourselves!" And then referring to the trolley, he's like, "My baby!" And then when the trolley, like, when the trolley floats into midair, it floats into midair. No slow motion involved. It slowly floats into the air. He's and he he looks at the trolley. He's like, "Damn, this sucks. Where's that son of a bitch at?" He ain't safe nowhere. And I'm just like... Doesn't he throw his hat right Yeah. There? And I'm just like, I'm like, bro, like, you don't own this trolley. Like, you don't own this trolley. Like, just your work is going to pay for that. Like, you're fine, man. But I, I, I just thought that was pretty funny. Um, that was great. Um, I did like the part where um, Ed Harris's character calls out that dude the secretary of state i believe yes uh yeah i, I love that moment i thought it was really great when he says like oh how old are you and he's like oh i'm 33 or 34 or whatever and he kind of he kind of goes off on him and puts him in check i did i did like that scene that was that's when i text you i think like yeah. i'm 15 minutes yeah. into this movie and and it's great 
I thought, you know, one of the ironies that I found funny was when the two dudes are arguing about Sean Connery's character and they're just like, oh, if you let Mason out, the first thing he's going to do is hit the streets. And they're like, oh, he's old. He's not going to hit the streets. Literally, after he gets his haircut, he's in the street. <laughs> like, he's in the streets of fucking San Francisco, like, fucking shit up. Um, and then, you know, I did like a lot of the quotes in the movie. I won't get into a lot of them, but they were, there's a lot of memorable quotes in this movie. Um, you know, so that's that's a lot of my treasure. I did like how they put together a lot of the action scenes. So a lot of practical effects definitely went into this movie. You always got to appreciate that, especially, you know, nowadays. But that was all good. Get into my trash. Um, you know, ugh. I mean, my number one, I kind of talked to Holly about this this morning. Um, just I feel like this movie's a little long. Uh, like it, it does feel long at some points. Two and hours, I, two hours, minutes. sixteen minutes. Yeah. I feel like I feel like they definitely could have cut stuff out. Not not necessarily not necessarily cut stuff out because I think a lot of it is relevant to the plot, and they do take their time on character building, which they is do. another which is another great treasure. They spend enough time with Ed Harris. They spend enough time with Sean Connery. They spend enough time with Nick Cage. You think? Oh yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I, I know one scene they could cut out, but I'll get to. Okay, that. all right, yeah. yeah, but they they do spend a lot of time on character building, which is really weird for you know the '90s action flick. You know, most people would assume they want to rush into the action and all that, but that's another treasure. But I feel like as far as the action scenes, I feel like some of them were a little prolonged. Yeah. I feel like like that minecart scene went on a little too long for my taste personally. Did you hear about the minecart scene? No, tell they me. only had like fifty feet of the minecart to actually. I might be lowballing it, but it was it was a short like track they had, and so Michael Bay just filmed different angles to make it look like it was as long as it was. Hmm. I thought yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, because yeah, when they were going, I was like, <laughs> when they hit the end of the track, I was expecting them. Cool. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was gonna jump off the rails and like jump into a barrel and like shoot off. Which would have made sense, like Donkey Kong. Yeah, or exactly. Um, but yeah, I felt like the movie was a little too long. You know, those action sequences definitely drag on. When the dude's chasing Nick Cage around the lighthouse, that goes on for a little too long. You know, for my taste. But yeah, that's that's my major trash with this movie. My other trash is, uh, I know Jason. I know you said you love the score and the soundtrack. I don't hate what was composed. Yes, what, I love where you're going with this. What I don't like is that the soundtrack has to exist at every moment in the film, yes. almost. Wow. There yes. are some moments that are better served by, you know, a lack of music as opposed to having the music present. And, you know, the volume definitely dies down, but that music is constantly there. Right. And I'm like, dude, like, sometimes not having the music sells you know the dire stakes a lot better than having the dramatic music there now the score is great not like i said the score is great but there's some moments there's some moments where you're just like "Eh, real relax turn it down a little bit i 100 no no no, i agree with you corinne i agree with you yeah score it's it's pretty invasive um i know i got some of the stuff that mugga has but so i won't jump too much into that but I, I call I, it dibs in the chase. I, That's okay. my treasure. Can I Maybe ask? Trash. Sorry. I, don't know. I know we're on trash and treasure, but can I ask y'all a question? Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Who has a better wig? Sean Connery in this movie or Nick Cage in Con Air? Who has the better long hair wig? I was going to say Sean Connery. Sean Connery, I would Sean say. Connery. I think Sean Connery. Okay, just making sure, because that's one of my trashes, but eh, I mean, it's whatever. It's kind of whatever. But um, <laughs> hold on real quick. Um, there's one thing I noticed, um, and it's about the music. If you go to 42 minutes and 40 seconds, 
the music that is playing sounds exactly like the Pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack theme. And it's like, yeah, same, same exact notes and everything. Really? So, so do you like, do you like the score from Pirates? Not, I'm not a huge fan. Really? Wow. No, 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 I'm just not a, I'm just not a fan of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies after the first two, you know, in general, what I'm saying I guess I'm not saying this soundtrack is bad. I'm not saying the score is bad it's at all. It's not needed on every. Yeah, it doesn't scene. need to be on all the time, all the time. Okay. It's the '90s though, '95, man, right? '96. Yeah. '96, my bad. Yeah, still '90s. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, that's me. Yeah, that's me. Holly. Let's yeah. Get, let's get it going. With my treasure, treasure, treasure right now. All right. Um. So I'm she gonna. Just start. snapped, by the way. I did. I got really excited. Um. So my treasure. I also think. Ed Harris was the best character in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that he provides the only character development in this movie. I think that he does an amazing job and you can kind of see the conflict. And like we alluded to previously with his, his, his initiative of doing this whole thing. It's, it's a humanistic element as to where like an audience, you can kind of see the reason why he's doing it and you can kind of understand his motive and it's not, an evil motive in its root. It's not for personal gain. It's for, you know, kind of an the American good of humanity, right? Right. Yeah, the, yeah. An American principle, like soldiers laying down their lives for this country and then not having their families just kind of being left with some half-assed story and no, no closure, if you will. So I, I think we all can agree that Ed Harris and, and throughout the course of the movie, you can kind of see him evolve from somebody that's like following through the plan, somebody that gets to a point where he, the solidifying scene for me was the one in the bathroom that we were talking about where mm-hmm. he is with the people that are coming to stop his mission. And they have this moment where, you know, he's like, stand down, stand down. This is the last time I'm going to say this. And you can just see it in his eyes. It's not something that he wants to do. And I think from Ed Harris's acting perspective, you kind of see him evolve as a character. Um, in my trash, I kind of allude to it. I wish they would have gone deeper with that. I wish we would have known what happened to his wife. I wish we would have known kind of the breaking. Barbara. Yeah, I wish we would have known the breaking point of it. I wish we would have known kind of the things that led up to it. I think there was a lot of potential with that to kind of get make him a more empathetic character. But I think he does an amazing job in this movie. So you're really attached to that character. I got to ask, is he the villain in this movie? No. That's, no. what I, that's what I don't think so at all because at one point you're like, God, I love this guy. I mean, he did some, and it, especially when he's about to die, he goes, God, what have I done? Right? You know? Right. No, he has he has moments of just remorse of just like he understands what he's doing and why he's doing it, yeah. and he doesn't like the way he's perhaps just not like, and he has this moment where he says, Look, they've called our bluff, and he admits like this they've is bluffed. a bluff. We called it. Oh no, sorry. We bluffed. We bluffed. They, they called, called it. it. Yeah. yeah. Put down the wine, sweetheart. Um, so they, your fucking voice is great right now. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, Good thing you guys are like eight feet apart. I know. Fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, he has these humanistic elements of just, you know, we're not doing this to kill people and he doesn't want to kill the hostages. He has an easy out to kill the hostages. Like you said, if you could design a perfect scene, he shoots a gun off in the air to like lure them out of the trap. But he doesn't want to use aggressive force. And I think he kind of holds up to this idea of what an American soldier is, which is kind of the problem that I had with Nick Cage and Con Air. 
I think Ed Harris fulfills that role through and through. And I think he really does a great job and you can see the emotion and you can see the conflict and you can see everything in his eyes. Like when he diverts the first missile, he knew he's like, this is the end game. Like I'm not, now they know that this wasn't a serious thing. I'm going to go to another treasure. Um, Sean Connery, just in general in this role, I think he has the sickest opening scene. I think all of them have really good opening scenes. I think Nick Cage diffusing a bomb. I think Ed Harris just kind of laying his medal of honor on his wife's grave, um, his whole military scene. I think Sean Connery, when they wake him up and he's got his like long hair and they like shackle him out, I think he had the sickest opening scene. And then my last treasure is gonna be just kind of a petty moment on my part. Um, for people that don't know, I'm a huge Chargers fan. And when the missile was originally launched at the Oakland Stadium, I wasn't really opposed to it. <laughs> Damn. But I'm just gonna be super petty. I'm glad that it missed. That's dark. But I'm also <laughs> that's, that's really dark. But I'm also okay. Here's my here's here's my redeeming moment. I'm I'm super super glad that it missed and there was no loss of life. But I was also glad to see the director was also petty and there was a lot of empty seats in that stadium. There was. There really was. Yeah. yeah. So that was my petty moment. Glad no lives were lost, but I wasn't opposed to it. Um, so my trash, first and foremost, I get really bad like motion sickness and this movie gave me a lot of that. I deposit multiple times. Like Jason, Jason and I were talking about this earlier and he doesn't understand it, but like I can't do shaky tight camera angles. Like we went and saw the favorite and there's like fish eye angles and it makes me like just like I get motion sickness and then multiple times in this movie I deposit. Mm -hmm. So when they're infiltrating the Navy ops space to steal the gas, there's shaky camera angles. It's done quickly. It's done really shaky and it's to put you in the moment. And for someone like me, it, it just it, like I literally have to pause it. I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I, I I, when she was telling me this, I was like, I never the got the car chase scene. The car chase scene was another scene. There's a lot of jump mine cuts, cart and cut scenes. scenes. Yeah, it's, or it's, scene. It's, it's the minecart scene. Like I, I get really like, and it's weird because I, I get car sickness and I get motion sickness, but I don't get like seasickness or anything like that. But this movie literally I had to pause it at multiple touch points because the camera angles like. There's, there's a lot of, there's, like I said, you mentioned it too, there's every shot's like 2.6 seconds long. Average, so, average. so yeah, there's a lot but of it's, jump gap. It's like, especially like I had to pause it when they were getting the gas the first time. It's mm -hmm. just, it's legitimate shaky camera angles. Really? Yeah, no, it's okay. it's not, if you, if you rewatch it again, it's just done from a perspective of like, just sharp like zooms and, and zooms out and then like literally like you're it's almost as if you're running with it I don't know I had to like I was telling Jason I was drinking a glass of wine when I first started and I didn't touch it the rest of the movie because I was that like put off by it wow. yeah so the shaky camera angles weren't something for me um, I'm going to disagree with Corwin um, on the character development as part of my trash I think that Ed Harris provided the only somewhat character development I think that they had so much potential with Sean Connery and I think they underutilized him in this movie I feel like he had the potential to be pissed off as somebody that had been incarcerated for 30 years with no trial the angst of like never really meeting his daughter the angst of you know missing out on a life that he had no buy into, I guess. I, I think he gave us quippy James Bond one-liners, but he didn't provide us any of the angst that somebody would normally provide in that situation. If I had been incarcerated for 30 years, like I would be pissed off. 
So I feel like they underused a lot of characters. I think Nick Cage was kind of a sticky character. He was Stanley the scientist. Um, he didn't really give us a whole lot of context of like, I felt like they could have done more with him. I felt like he provided a role and I felt like he was this, the nerdy scientist and he did a great job doing it. Really? But I felt like there could have been more wow. to the character and I felt like he, like you said, designed this character I mean, that- The movie is two hours and 16, and you, you wanted more character- Well, no, I'm, gonna, I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna task you with this. So we talked about this and I hate to allude to a previous podcast, but we talked about this in Con Air. Like you can have moments of character development where there's not an explosion, where there's not a gunfight, where there's and not- you don't think this and movie did it? I don't think so. Okay. Whether, was there any one moment that you got character development where there wasn't an action sequence in process? Only with Ed Harris's character. Yeah. What about with Nick Cage and- Getting engaged and the girlfriend that, or Sean Connery and his Connery daughter. His daughter, I think you could do like Ed that. Harris. But in action like, sequence, you understand where he stands. But on did line you? Of like but I'm sorry, but bullshit. did you really feel the emotional aspect of Sean Connery meeting his daughter for the first time? There was no angst. There was no like I've been in prison for 30 years against my will for doing nothing wrong. Yeah, he there seems like nothing. a seems like a pretty happy guy for right. somebody that's like, been locked away. Like he just seems like oh hey nice to meet you. Like there's no angst. Girl, there's no character development. No, I there's think no. Well, to my point earlier like I like that they spent time with the characters but to Holly's point I have to agree they don't really do anything with it other than Ed Harris's character I would say like when you say that he's the only one that really got development I would say I'm just glad they spent time with the characters before they jumped into the action but Nick Cage doesn't necessarily have an arc Sean Connery doesn't have his own arc Ed Harris is really the only character with an arc in this entire right, like film. Imagine, imagine you're meeting your daughter for the first time and then hearing that some crazy ex-militant guy is about I'll to launch... Sean Connery, is Nick, about Nick, Nick Cage's Is about to though? launch gas. Nick Cage is a standard character in this movie. Like he's, a, he's Stanley the Scientist. When I think about if I was a man with this voice, it's, it's very probable. But if I was a man and... <laughs> My girlfriend was in San Francisco and there's an ex-militant person about to launch a bomb over San Francisco that would annihilate her. I would have a little bit more angst. True. I would have a little bit more passion. I would have a little bit more oomph, if you will. But I just I just feel like it's stock characters and it's the 90s one-liners of like, I'm here to save the fucking day kind of thing. And I feel like there's a lot of underdeveloped characters. And when you have a cast like this, there's so much opportunity that you have, especially with Sean Connery, especially with Nick Cage coming off an Oscar win. Ed Harris is, I feel like, the only one that we get character development from, but I would still like to see more from him. Yeah, okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah, that's my trash. Muggle, what's your trash? I'm ready for this. Go ahead. Mistakes in the movie. The cable that holds Cage on the explosion. Did you guys see that? It's at two hours, five minutes, and 53 seconds. Trash. The mat that Ed Harris falls back on after he gets like shot a couple times in that scene. Did you guys see that? No, I no. Watch it again. Okay. He like literally lands. It's not an air mattress, but it's like a mat. Like okay. you can like literally see it bouncing up. It's like really. Mm-hmm. He is an officer of the military. Of course, he gets a mat to fall. Yeah. Trash. <laughs> the Ferrari's windshield. Mm. Okay, mm. It, it goes through a bunch of. It goes bunch a bunch of a uh, bunch of parking meters, meters right? Yeah. And the next scene is completely fine. So, trash, which leads me into my ultimate trash. I think the goddamn chase scene is bullshit. Oh yeah. I want to know why <laughs> it's even in the movie. Like literally, you demand as Sean Connery or Mason, right? Hey, I want this. I want a barber. 
Just say, hey, get my goddamn daughter because I want to talk to her. There's no need to wreck the entire city, right? But, and have Yosemite Water product placement. But that's become a placement. staple of a Michael Bay film is having a chase no, scene. That's why I think this, <laughs> that is the one. I hate that part. Like, there's no reason for and, the chase and scene. I, and I agree if with you. If you take the chase scene out, the movie still runs fine. Yeah. Like, okay, talk to your daughter. Yeah. We're good. And it's like even like Nicolas Cage's character still goes through like, hey. No, I was going to say, I think that proposes a weakness towards the FBI director that he hates. Like, if he just initially was like, hey, bring this person that's close to me. He's, an, he's a special British operations operative. But like, like you, have to, you have to show, not tell. You don't, yeah, you don't, I, I, I think that you that don't exploit your operatives. Bullshit. And I think he knows that he's... I think it's unnecessary. Crafty and it's enough. done very horribly. I, I, I would, There's I, a lot of like I mistakes in it. it. Like the Humvee like, should have crashed you. like at the very beginning. Yeah. You could totally tell Jason, you know a lot about cars. Yeah. That is not a Ferrari, right? Like it's just a panel. Like, oh, you, the very end when yeah. it crashes? Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, and yeah, then like the whole thing with the airbag and he tries to shoot it with a gun. to get. Well, well, well even I, leading okay. up to it, he's like, you're like, going down. Yeah, you, he, Hope they, you're insured. They run, they, yeah. they, they run into every obstacle. So they run into a trolley. They run into a lady crossing the street. They run into like people like, in wheelchairs. There's like, a lady crossing the street. Like there's Do almost, they, there's every obstacle in every on that. It's like the busy single thing that you could hit in a level of like a Nintendo game. Like it's on this <laughs> street, fucking scene. No, but he's hitting, know? he's hitting all that stuff on purpose though. <laughs> the lady in the, in the walker? Maybe. This is no, he doesn't hit her. I know, I know. It's worse. No, but like he's making it a point to hit everything. The the like of all things, the San Francisco. What? How do you say it? It's it's not a. It's not a train. What is it? Trolley. 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 Explodes and and flies like. Oh, that explodes! uh, Like the one. Oh, of course, dude. But I think I think that's what your I think that's what your mind associates with San Francisco. So it's a cinematic ploy to be like this is a San Francisco staple. So you're saying when it comes to the trolley, this movie's getting off track. So I love you, Cohen. No, but um, you know, to uh, I forgot to whose point. Maybe Holly. Holly's point. No, to Holly's point. Holly's point. I think the entire purpose of that sequence is to show how capable Sean Connery is. Right. That sequence exists. I think they could have done a better job. I think when they do the furnace scene, you show how capable he is. No, no, is. but before you get to that, because you have I, to establish you have to establish saying. credibility with a seventy-year-old man. Yeah. And the other he thing still too, got it. To your point, Holly is just like. If his daughter is brought into the equation, you have to show the lengths he's willing to go to see her. I, I think I think that's yeah, another thing. I, I even though that. even though the payoff, because like okay, I'm gonna just say it right now. Sorry to you know jump in like this, but no Sean Connery should have we should have had a scene with him and his daughter at the end of the movie. Yes. yes, that's yes. missing from this yes. movie, mm-hmm. and that's a damn shame. That the movie is so fucking long, and it feels so long that to only get the just married driving away scene at the church. And then never see Sean Connery and his daughter on like a bus or some other shit or like having tea or some shit or whatever. Like not having that closure, considering, you know, the entire length of this scene and how prominent it is in the film. There's no payoff. But that's what goes back to my character development. Like there's no motivation. Like it's not like at the end of the film, like when we again to compare it to Conair like his whole motive was to get back to his family and the yeah. last ending scene was him with his wife and child and I feel like Sean Connery didn't provide enough character development to give us that scene with his daughter or they should have brought the daughter into HQ also yes like you caught him Ooh. yeah they brought in the girlfriend that would have been good yeah. prom queen yeah they picked up <laughs> They picked up the prom queen, but they couldn't pick up Sean Connery's <laughs> yeah. daughter. I'm sorry, but this is this is another thing. Sean, like Nicolas Cage, looks at his fiance and he's like, "When you get to San Francisco, order some champagne." 
bitch, she's pregnant. <laughs> That's another oh, thing yeah. too. Yeah, you're gonna drink too. All right, much. can we just Nick Cage and pregnancy in movies? He needs to stop. Trash. Yeah, wrap it up. I have one more other trash, and I feel like you guys are gonna like laugh at me for it. We're don't always care. gonna laugh I at hate you. It. Is when the tour is going on of Alcatraz, the park ranger, and he does that famous scene, the Michael Bay from Feet Up. It shows his socks. One sock is so much lower than the other. Did you guys notice that? That's a trash for you. It's so trash. I'm like, dude, pull your fucking sock up, park ranger. You don't think that has to do with uh, kind of this stereotypical view of what certain professions are like? Because you have that guy who's who's the dorky Boy Scout looking dude. And then you have the extra flamboyant hairdresser dude who's like, oh, we got a barber. I'm a stylist. And it's just like, it's just like, yeah, I'm just like, I'm just like, yo, like. He could just he could just be a stylist yeah. like he doesn't have to be portrayed Picole, that way. Did they tell Picasso no brush? <laughs> Sorry, it's San right. Francisco. Let me Hashtag get into my, All Stars Four. I'm really trying to reach though, but treasures. I love the casting. I think Ed Harris, other people, Sean. Yes, I love it to death. I think the acting was great. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's cheesy. No. There are one-liners. I don't think they're cheap. I, I think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I think the story, and even now researching Tarantino, Sorkin, other, I think it's amazing. I, re- I really do, you know? My ultimate treasure, though, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Corn, I had to disagree. I love the soundtrack. I mean, I bought the CD. I, I, I it too. I bought yes. the CD. I, I still, no. I was, I, I went with my parents to the because my brother was bartending his last shit, and I'm like seeing it as I, I, I love no, this. I, I like it too. I just don't think it needs to be in every fucking no, they, scene. We don't have it enough. I agree. And, and with I, I literally bought and I have. I, I have Hummel gets the rockets. I have that. And Jason, this is a little fun fact. We go to we go to San Francisco. Oh Jesus! We didn't do our research. We don't get to go on Alcatraz. We're doing a fair round. And Jason Snapchats. You know the whole Alcatraz scene with that Hummel gets the rockets. And and I, I've saved that video by the way. I <laughs> So great, yeah. dude! Like, I, will, I love this soundtrack. It it's Hans Zimmer, and it's just like you want to like go into the art. All right, on IG when we post the image Good. of this review, we're gonna put that video okay, as a, as a second slide. All right. I just am super cognizant because I live in a one bedroom apartment, and my downstairs neighbor Tracy, who is a Twitter hit on my Twitter, I always tweet about him. He loves to blast movies and he will always play like the other day he was playing Star Wars and I can hear it from my apartment and like I was I was watching this movie last night and at every touch point like this just booming music and even though my sound bar was like turned down super low I still was like super cognizant of that it's I just I don't think it's necessary I will agree with Corwin until the cows come home yeah turn that shit up man yeah, turn. <laughs> so let I, Tracy I, know I'm watching yeah, the rock I because I, I remember buying the goddamn CD it was before you were 23 I swear, I'm gonna crawl up this bar. No, I'm not gonna do that. Okay, Kareem Han. Okay. What the fuck? You really don't um, like? Uh, whatever. You know, I bought it. I like. Sorry, it. Kareem. Hey, sorry. Still own it. Mug, I hear you. I agree with you. I love the soundtrack. Great. It's, You've it's got bling sets, on your side. It sets the pace for film. Doesn't it? It just gets you hyped. Yes. Yes. I say we all watch it again, and every time a helicopter comes on, we drink. Shout out Fireball. What do you guys think? (laughs) Why don't you chug your wine every time you see a helicopter? Oh, look at you. You're so fancy. All right, guys. Cool voice. All right. (laughs) All right, who's next? We've gone Kerwin, Holly, myself, Bling. Bling Trash or treasure? All right, so a lot of the treasures you guys already touched on. I love Ed Harris in the film. I love the soundtrack. Um, What I love 
about this film was just the dialogue between characters. Great dialogue between characters. Kerwin, you touched on one of them when the uh, chief of staff is talking to Hummel and he's all like, I don't remember that, that mission to China. Like, who the fuck are you? He basically just calls him out. Like, Identify yourself. Yes, identify yourself. You know, I, when you were nine years old, I was doing missions in you know, black ops missions. Uh, so that's one. I love it too. I want to highlight a few of those great dialogue between two yeah. characters. There's another one with, uh, with Womack and Paxton where there's like, who the fuck is John Mason? And he basically has to explain, hey, you know, he does not exist. He holds our darkest secrets. Where we, you know, held this guy without trial for thirty years. It's just a great dialogue between characters. Another one, and a lot of it is going to be between Ed Harris and other characters. There's one scene where they just launched the missile. His second command, Major Baxter, is like, "I need to talk to the general," and he says, "Put the phone." General Hummel's like, "Put the phone down." And he's like, "You've been asked by an old friend. You've been ordered by a superior officer." And then at the very end, now you're being given your last chance with a man with a gun. And you can see kind of... Dude, <laughs> yes, I totally agree. Yes, I love that part. That scene, it just shows like how, you know... At ease, soldier. Yeah, yeah that's like right. General Hummel is a man of structure and order. And then it just sees him go past his breaking point. Yeah. So great dialogue there. Um, another scene I love was um, in the bathroom scene with Commander Anderson. He's, he's basically talking between him and General Hummel. And he's like... Sir, we know you're out here. God knows I agree with you, but like you, I swore to defend this country against all enemies, foreign, sir. And domestic. And domestic. Just a great scene. That, and that was on my treasure, too. We're down there. there. <laughs> I have the high ground. I have the elevated position, is. Commander, and it's just like, stand down. God damn it, stupid. Commander. Yeah, one last time. I love that scene. Uh, another scene I thought was great dialogue between two characters was uh, when General Hummel meets John Mason for the first time. They're going back and forth. General Hummel's explaining the situation, and he's all like, I don't quite see how John Mason's like, I don't quite see how you cherish the memory of a dead by killing another million. And this is not combat. It's an act of lunacy, General Sir. Personally, I think you're a fucking idiot. And General Hummel's like, the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants, Thomas Jefferson. And then John Mason's like, patriotism is the virtue of, of the vicious, according to Oscar Wilde. And that's where he just like knocks him to his knees. Great scene between two characters. And then the very last dialogue, I don't, I'm surprised Mugga didn't say this, is when uh, Nick Cage, Goodspeed, is all like, I'll try my best. Your best. Your best. Your best. Luce is always whining about, about your best. It's a great <laughs> quote. Like, I left it for you, though. Yeah. Winners, winners do home, what? Winners go home and fuck the prom there queen. There it is. Boom. And what, Carla was done. the prom and what, queen. What, what, what does Cage say? Carla was a prom queen. As he like does <laughs> yeah. the gun thing. Wait, you're not going to talk about how he's throwing up and he's like, my stomach's doing hula hoops around my ass? You're not going to talk about that? No. What? <laughs> so yeah. my, no, I think I think a great one-liner scene that we haven't mentioned is like Sean Connery and Nick Cage when he's like, I will shoot you. And he's like, your safety's on, bitch. Like, yeah. 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 And like now he has all the guns. <laughs> so yeah, great treasure. There's great dialogue between characters throughout the film. Um, I can go over just a ton of more quotes, but I mean, kind of hit it on the head. My trash with this Here film. Go. Um, I'll be honest with you. I just... I was really stretching with a lot of the trash for this film. Me too, yeah. yeah. Uh, I will agree with you, Mugga, on the chase scene. I felt it was unnecessary. Like I said, I, I pointed out there's a lot of things that, you know, it's it's a Michael Bay-ism. Where, you know, you That's have a where chase you get it. the Michael Bay-ism yes, of it, this film, that once you see this scene. Yeah. Once you see that scene and then you see all his movies he's done since then, the Transformers films, he's like, oh, okay, it's become a staple in Michael Bay films. So, um, 
I didn't like the ending. I didn't feel like they need the show, you know, Goodspeed finding the microfilm in the really? church. Yeah, I thought it was kind of. I liked it. I thought it was kind of cheesy. Honey, you still you want to know who really killed JFK? I, I love that. <laughs> I thought that was kind of cheesy. Um, oh, it's totally cheesy. They should have had a montage for the ending. Yeah. There should have been a montage where they show Nick Cage's character and his, you know, now wife. There should have been a piece where they show maybe uh, Paxson getting promoted or something and Womack getting demoted because he lost Mason. Should have showed, maybe. Look, I'm just I'm just making things up for a montage. No, but I'm just, saying there should have right. been a there should have been a montage to close things out for every yeah, character, yeah. and maybe you know the families that Hummel was fighting for actually getting reparations for their loved ones dying in combat. No, you're right. Something right. like that, that should have happened, or something cool. for even General cool. Hummel saying, "Hey, acknowledging like, hey, you know, he was a hero, or just he was a terrorist yes, when he died." But, but the people, the general people, don't know he that. Was. So that would have been good, like a good way to close the circle, because. We talk about how a lot of these people kind of died in combat or whatever, and they never, got you know, there's, yeah, yeah, they never got recognized. recognized. So maybe a way to to close it full circle is to kind of cover up Hummel's very last kind of, I guess, mission or act of terror. Yeah. They they never bring that up as a way to close the circle. Yeah. Right. Maybe there's that would have no, been. There's no reparations made to the family, and if yeah. we would have closed this out, like it's just like their deaths would not have been in vain. Mm-hmm. Like doing this whole mission of losing you know, eight or nine people in the bathroom scene that were like trying to defend this. Like they just righted the wrongs without tarnishing somebody's military career or the accomplishments that they had defending this country. But they made the same reparations. Yeah, because if this, if this got out, this whole movie takes a different turn. If this right? got out, yeah. Um, aside from that, not really a big trash, but just one cheesy section, or a cheesy pun. Uh, when, I forgot what his name was, when Nick Cage is talking to one of the, one of the military guys, he's all like, hey, do you like Elton John, like, Rocket Man? And, oh, and he's all yeah. like, I don't like soft yeah. shit. And like, you're him. He's you're a Rocket him. Man. Rocket Man goes hard as fuck, first of all. <laughs> that no, rocket, I agree. That, 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 that line sucks. That yeah. rocket should have blasted through his motherfucking He's chest. a scientist. <laughs> Okay, he's like, he's like, do you know what this shit does when he's holding like the the poison or whatever? And the guy like pulls out a gun. He's like, do you know what this does? And it's just like, clearly you don't understand who's the more dangerous individual in this situation. I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, he right? says, do you know how this shit works? That's when he does it. Yeah. Um. So that's all I got for you. Cool. Jason, you're next. Okay, you guys covered a lot of it, so I'm, I'll try to make it short. I'll start with my trashes. Uh, one of them is. The scene, the interrogation, not interrogation scene, but when they bring Mason out of prison into the interrogation room. Forsyth, is that his name? When he tosses him the quarter? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this is one-on-one. Like, you don't hand the inmate anything. Like, why does he toss a quarter at Mason? Why? Why does he do that? Second, how in the flying fuck does Mason cut a circle into a window that nice and neat, hits it with his elbow, and then just with the, the palm of his hand, Punches out just a nice little clean circle right in it. Bond. James Bond. No, I'm not reaching. Well, I mean, he did break a mirror. I guess we kind of got to reflect on that a little bit. Yeah, there it is. So, yeah, that's that's a trash. And I think he tossed him a quarter because he was hoping he'd change his mind. (laughs) This is how you can tell we're wrapping up, guys. Um, One of them, another one of my trashes is right before um, the actual car chase scene. Mm hmm. Uh, Goodspeed is chasing Mason, and at one part they're going down an escalator going up, and just to their right of them there's a flight of stairs. But I don't know why Mason chose to go down the the escalator going up. 
Like if he would just would have ran down where there's no one, the flight of stairs right next to it, he would have had a much easier time <laughs> getting from the kitchen down to the base of the hotel. Because you're planning execution. Yeah, Completely I just, I, I, yeah. I mean, you see people literally standing at the base of the stairs. If you rewatch the scene, they're kind of looking at him. And they kind of look back at the stairs, and I think even the extras in the scene are like, why the fuck are they running down the escalators in the wrong way? I don't get it. They don't get it. Trash. Um, <laughs> what else? Uh, I know Holly's really, you're really liking Hummel's character development. I don't know if I do. Really? Talk to me. Wow. Talk to me. You, Tell me about it. Black lovers do. He, he gets kind of soft. <laughs> he gets kind of soft, man. I kind of like the idea that he's serious. I don't like, well, he's sympathetic though. He's a liar. What? He goes and steals these rockets. The whole time you're thinking, like, he means business. Like, he's really going to fucking do this. He means what he's saying. And, he's not the villain, though. And That's he has, I, and I know. I mean, it's a trash and a treasure. I just feel like this movie could take a whole different turn if he was serious. Yeah, Raider fans would be dead if he was serious. Holly may have liked this movie even more. <laughs> Maybe it went from a 10 to a 15. Who guys, knows? Guys, let's be clear. I don't want anyone to die. <laughs> But no, that's not what you implied earlier. <laughs> I just think he was trying to, as I love to say, he was trying to put it on the table and he was trying to say that he has the resources and he has the abilities to do these things and he will use extreme force if he needs to. And he knows classified information. He even says, like, take it from the slush fund where you sell illegal arms to other countries. Like, he has the intel and he has the capabilities and he has these things. I don't think he's a malicious person and I wish they would have explored his character more and developed his character more. But I just think he was flexing his muscles to like, I have the intel, I have the capabilities and I have the wherewithal to do this. I just don't want to do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I get the movie. I enjoy the movie. I mean, I do enjoy his character a lot. Like, I'm yeah. not trying to take anything away from that. I just feel like, again, I talked about it earlier when they go from the less than lethal weapons when they first steal the, the poison gas. Mm -hmm. Then now, oh, we're going to retain hostages on Alcatraz and we're also going to have live ammunition. They have these rockets. I just feel like, and then like the whole time he has this whole hidden agenda of like, he has no intent on really harming anyone. I don't know. I just... Again, I don't want to sound really dark or anything with this, but I just think the movie would have taken a different turn if he was like really deadly serious with this. I don't know. Just, well, just well, maybe he was. Maybe he just had like I said a change of heart. That's what I think. What it really came down to. I don't think so. Or, or he no. just thought, hey, it's never gonna happen. I got control. They're gonna pay. I'll never have to resort to this. And when he had to, he was like, yeah, you got me. You I, called I, our I bluff. You yeah, called you, our bluff. But, but I, we bluff. They called. I mean, that's yeah. what I. But any kind of movie, anything like that, they, I mean, they never succumb to terrorist demands. They never compromise. Well, that's why they, they mean, said that the president is not for. They even say, that, yeah, you know, the president stands on terrorism, and that's why. But that's another trash. Like the president gave this big long speech, like fourteen minutes after the demands were approved. due. Like the time was up and the president all of a sudden gives this prolific speech so that should be a trash too well in his speech like he he's the one that mentioned like you know the US government has turned their backs on dedicated you know military personnel like Hummel and you know this is kind of what we right. get for doing so he does make that just a quick question do you think this movie might have had more impact if Hummel lived and he kind of you know he was incarcerated for life you know, under the deal that, you know, we get reparations for all the people that he was kind of fighting for. I don't, do, you, do you think that works? Or? I don't think there's a story arch where it works where he lives. Okay. Yeah, I think he has to die. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I think he does. Okay. 
I think because if you have him live, it creates this whole two drains of thinking of like, he should have died or now that he's alive, like, what do we do with him? Do we yeah. prosecute him as a terrorist? Do we, even though he served his country and earned three Purple Hearts, two Silver Stars and a and Congressional Medal of Honor, like, what do we do with him? Well, I mean, that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, where why don't they just bury it? Like, he can live, you know, satisfied with the fact that he succeeded, didn't have to kill an entire population. But in respect to what he was trying to accomplish, he just gets incarcerated outright and he gets to live with that peace, I guess. Maybe. Yeah, but I think an American principle alone, that's, like yeah, we don't true. comply with terrorists, yeah. foreign and, and domestic. domestic. <laughs> yes. All right. So I have two more, I have actually three total trashes left. Two of them are kind of quick. Um, they kind of relate to each other. Um, I don't like how delicate the VX gas is. And I also don't like how, in the end, when Nick Cage forces one of the pearls into that mm, dude's mouth, yeah. it's like, who the fuck is going to open their mouth and allow this to be? I just, it's I just, huge. It's too. huge. It's huge. It's glass. It's like, you know what the fuck it is. It you're frightened of it. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, let alone the whole scene when they're going after each other, crashing through windows and walls, and Nick Cage has it in his shirt I was pocket. sweating the entire time. Yeah. My anxiety was through the roof watching that. Yeah, scene. and it's like, that's a little trash. My last trash is, um, <laughs> there's a scene right after... Um, Nick Cage and Sean Connery get out of their jail cells mm -hmm. and um, they hear Nick Cage kind of looks up, his head perks, and one of the rockets was shot. So Nick Cage, holding a gun, jumps up and hops onto the wall and grabs part of the bars that are around the window to look to see where the rocket goes. Like, the rocket must have gone miles and miles and miles. Oakland Stadium. How in the fuck did he see it from that window? Well, he knew that it missed. How? I'm not, Mugs, I'm not saying I got I'm not saying I got How did he see it? There's because no. Because he heard the Raiders fans cheer from the empty stadium. <laughs> Jesus. Well, if that happened, I, I would believe it, but I, I just don't. I, it's an unbelievable. It's ridiculous to me. Okay, so my treasures. I mean, I have a lot. You guys already said most of them. The music, the performances. I like the opening scene. Um, I like on Oakland. You love that. Uh, yeah, of course I love that. Um, I, I love that. Uh, VX gas is real. I had to look it up to make sure it was real. It's it really a, is. Yeah, it's a nerve yeah. agent. The one thing that's not real is the skin melting part. I don't know if your back really breaks and you spit up your own guts, but like you go into... He really paints a picture, guys. <laughs> well, that's what Nick Cage says. I love that line. But they say that your skeletal muscles, uh, you have paralysis. Not only do you, all of your muscles in your body have paralysis, but I guess this is uncommon, but your diaphragm has paralysis and that's where you asphyxiate and you die. Um, I think the skin melting part was kind of for the movie. Yeah. Um, but atropine really is a remedy for that. Really? Um, yes. So In your heart? No, uh, no, 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 no. It's not really in your heart, but. You said it's in your thigh, right? Yeah, he said it's in yeah, his Yeah, my, my dad told me that, yeah, he actually got training on it and they, they said, yeah, it's, it's not like you have to do it right away. You just, yeah, you just take out the atropine and you just inject it into your thigh muscle. Well, the big vein in your thigh muscle. Well, well, sometimes too, like if you're just exposed to VX, the, this nerve agent, that sometimes you just, it can be mild. Like you can have a cold, nausea, vomiting. Really? And then you still, yeah, you can still use atropine. But wow. I think the aerosol kind of is probably one of the worst ones. But yeah, I just thought that was kind of cool. That it was kind of accurate. Again, Holly said introducing Sean Connery's character. I really like that. Uh, the underwater scene we talked about already a lot. Um, I really like the scene in the morgue. I thought that was kind of cool. Is that normal? Do you want me to 
You want me to kill him again? <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. I love when like Nick Cage is like trying to take the chip out, or he's talking about it, and Sean Connery is talking to him. He's like trying to focus. Really, I, I don't know. There's a lot, and you really see how delicate all yeah. of those that string of pearls are. Like it's it's pretty intense. This is kind of weird. I don't know what you guys think. This is kind of dumb. It's small, but I really like how Sean Connery crushed all of the guidance chips. Yes. Yes. I think that was cool. As opposed to like keeping it, putting it in his pocket, whatever. No, no, no. Fuck it. We're done. Like they're gone. Yeah. I, I really, I thought that was kind of cool. I feel like most movies would have like kept them and they would have find them. They would have hid them or something. I think that was kind of cool how they crushed it. And then my last treasure is I like the green smoke part at the end. I don't yeah. know. Something is like the music kicks back up. Just you have the, the guy that's on that lens. I got green smoke. I got green smoke. And you go to do Forsyth's character. Even before Dude, that, even even chills. before that, man. Oh, really? Like when Nick Cage, like he shot, he hit himself in the heart with atropine. Yeah. And then he starts with the flares and he's walking out. And he's then stumbling. he's got a refractory period of 15, 15 seconds where all of a sudden he's upward and mobile. Yeah. Okay. But right. okay. why are you rolling your Okay. Eyes? Okay. Okay. But then, but then the music kicks out. It's like, dun, 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 dun. And he's like walking out. It's like Pirates of the Caribbean. And then he gets aboard, up. Aboard. We got green smoke. And then we have a bunch of fucking airplanes. Oh, it was great. You didn't that, like it? Holy. Oh, it was fantastic. I, I like, I like that. And I also like how they did not go back to Sean Connery's character. They he when they when Nick Cage says he's vaporized, it's done, like they never go back. It leaves it a mystery. I kinda like how they just leave really? it a mystery. Yeah. I thought that was kinda cool. You don't I want any like, closure at all. Just so I think the, out, I think yeah. the first time I watched it I was kinda like, hey what happened? Like yeah. I wish they would have shown but now like rewatching it for like the hundred and twenty second time, like I'm kinda like I kinda like how they just left it open where it's like, hey, you just you just have no idea. He's out there. He's out there somewhere. There okay, go. so I I'm gonna piggyback on your allusion to the Sean Connery vaporizing, and I have a fun story. Are you guys ready? Go ahead. If you say it in that voice, you're doing, yeah, yeah come well, on. Well, it's the only voice I've got, so here we go. <laughs> this will be positive, Holly. What is um, it? <clears throat> so there was, there was a couple things that you alluded to, but I'll start this off with saying I love a good conspiracy theory. And we were talking about the quarter that he throws at him, right? And there is this conspiracy theory of three people that actually broke out of Alcatraz, and there are direct parallels to this movie that I can think of. So one of them is the quarter that you talked about, how he throws a quarter at him, and then another one is saying that he, as an FBI agent, said that Sean Connery's character is dead. Um, so there were three people that have broken out of Alcatraz, and it was Frank Morris, and then John and Clarence Anglin, who were two brothers that broke out of Alcatraz, June 11th, 1962. Um, so they chiseled away at moisture damaged concrete around an air vent to lead to a three foot utility corridor. And what they used was like a metal spoon um, smoldered <laughs> with a dime. So that's kind of like the quarter that they threw at them. So like the metal spoon, they, cor they smoldered it with a dime. Um, and they created fake walls to fool the guards with like the shadows. And they stole 50 raincoats and they got like, once they corroded the walls and they had like this little thing on top of their cells, they stole 50 raincoats and created like this makeshift raft. So the night that they escaped was June 11th, 1962. They escaped through their little concrete things. They made paper mache dummies and they used human hair from the barber shop. And they used handmade replicas of their face made out of soap. Now that you're saying that, I do remember that on the Alcatraz tour. You're right. They yes. do talk about this. Yes. yes. And so they used 
handmade replicas of their face made out of soap and the guards didn't realize they were missing for like a full 24 hours. In 1979, this is why I bring this up, because Nick Cage in this movie is an FBI agent. Um, On the basis of circumstantial evidence, the FBI concluded that the three men had drowned due to the frigid water temperatures and that there was no car stolen the night that they escaped. And so I think it's funny that Nick Cage is an FBI agent and says that Sean Connery dies. But in a 1989 Unsolved Mysteries, they had a triathlete swim from Alcatraz to the mainland and they decided that it was probable. But then they had kayakers replicate a boat made out of raincoats and it didn't work. Um, And then in 1993, America's Most Wanted had a former inmate from Alcatraz say how Clarence Anglin's girlfriend picked them up and took them to Mexico from the mainland of San Francisco. But this is where I got involved because I love a good conspiracy theory. On a 2003 episode of Mythbusters, one of my favorite shows, um, but they used raincoats and tried to replicate a boat made out of 50 raincoats and they concluded that it could be done. And that using the tides, they found that prisoners could use the tides to divert authorities. And in 2011, the FBI transferred the case from them to the US Marshals. And so in 2011, there was a National Geographic documentary done where contrary to the FBI report, a raft was found on Angels Island, which is kind of near Alcatraz Island and a car was stolen. So like the original FBI report, they concluded that they had died because on the mainland that night that they were they escaped from Alcatraz Island, no car was stolen, there was no petty crimes done, so they thought that they had died at sea. But on Angels Island, they said that there was a 1955 Chevrolet stolen and then the police got reports of three men driving recklessly, driving people off the road. So like the three men that escaped from Alcatraz, And then people tried to say that the FBI tried to cover it up just to give Alcatraz its proof that it was a inescapable prison. In 2014, a study done by Delft University said that the ocean currents could have had the prisoners land on the mainland but divert their raft to Angels Island. So they concluded that this is something that was probable. And then in 2015, this is the most damning documentary, um, a member of the England family presented Christmas cards and signed documents to show photos of the England bros in 1975 in Brazil. The US Marshals claimed that it was the best actionable lead that they'd had. And then in 2018, this is the coolest part, this is the part that it really gets exciting, the FBI concluded that there was valuable evidence of a letter written in 2013 from John claiming that Frank Morris had died in 2008, Clarence Anglin had died in 2011, and that John Anglin, the guy who was writing this letter, who originally escaped from Alcatraz, had cancer, and he would serve a year in exchange for medical treatment. Uh, that's that's insane, a whole movie. Dude. That's yeah. a movie. Yeah. So no. So you just really just. So there's so many. Twenty dollars. Twenty dollars. Twenty dollars. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Holy no. Fuck. So I love a good conspiracy theory, and I was watching The Rock, and then like Amazon suggested things that like related yeah. materials, and there was an escape from Alcatraz documentary actually documented by Danny Trejo, our boy Johnny Twenty Three from Con Air. Um, <laughs> And Call me Johnny Six Hundred. It was it was truth. kind of all about the deathbed <laughs> confession of the Anglin family's guy saying like, "Look, I've seen the Anglin brothers. They escaped from Alcatraz. They were in Brazil when this all happened." Okay, let's go on the list. What? Do you think someone actually escaped from Alcatraz yes. successfully? Yes. All right, Bling. I mean, after hearing that, yeah. Kerwin. Same as Bling. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I'm I'm gonna concur. Yeah. <laughs> no, Holly, it's crazy. Holly, yeah. Fucking nailed it, man. Thank what you. the hell? Dude? Thank you. So when he threw a quarter at him, and then when you have an FBI agent saying he died, it kind of just alludes to this whole conspiracy theory of the FBI covering up this whole operative that Alcatraz is, un- is an inescapable yeah. prison. Yeah. So I think I think it's funny, like when he threw the quarter, I didn't get it originally. And then after doing the research, I was like, hell yeah. I see what you did there. I wish it was a dime though, but yeah. what can we do? Trash treasure out the way. Kurt, what are we doing? We doing we doing ratings? Yeah, so uh I mean we did talk well, should I talk about the James Bond thing at the very end? Yeah, no, after. talk about it now. So we did talk about uh some allusions to uh the James Bond franchise. You know, there's some internet buzz about Sean Connery's character Mason possibly being the character known as James Bond in this film. Yes. Um, the movie makes multiple references to it. Um, they talk about how, you know, he's a nobody. Um, he's a member of British intelligence that was captured and put away for 30 years. I think uh, Womack and uh, somebody else, uh, they're arguing about him, how they put him away for about 30 years. Um, this kind of lines up with uh, Sean Connery's last appearance as James Bond under Eon Pictures. Um, he did do a movie called Never Say Never Again in 1983, but that wasn't produced by Eon and therefore, I guess, is an unofficial James Bond film. But the last movie he did as James Bond was a 1971 film called Diamonds Are Forever, which takes place 25 years before this movie is released. Right. That time range would be sort of accurate. So let's say Diamonds Are Forever or the previous movie was his last mission. Then he got caught up. They say that he's a former uh, British Secret Service agent, which is SAS, what, yeah. yeah, SAS, which is what James Bond was. They do say that he's from Scotland, specifically Glasgow, when Nick Cage calls his friend to do like a background check. Thing about James Bond, according to the James Bond wiki, the Sean Connery version of the character was born August 25th, 1930 in Fountain Bridge, Edinburgh, Scotland, the same place of birth as Sean Connery. So although it's not Glasgow, still from Scotland, they kind of keep that in line. Also, the Daniel Craig version was also born in Scotland, but in Glencoe. Um, Sean Connery at one point says, back in my day, we did it with a snorkel and a pair of flippers before they jump in the water. This is a direct reference to Thunderball and Never Say Never Again, where they both have underwater fight sequences. Even though it's not with the snorkel, they do have scuba gear and they do fight underwater with the spear guns and all that other stuff. And then that last shot, and this is all stuff that I've been looking up. I know there's a ton of more stuff out there on Reddit probably and other internet articles, but the very last shot where Mason gives, what's his name, Goodspeed? Yeah, Yeah, Goodspeed. (laughs) Yeah, oh, Goodspeed, also a silly name. Lots of characters in the James Bond films have silly names like that. I think when he meets Goodspeed for the first time, he's like, oh, my name's Dr. So-and-so Goodspeed. And Sean Connery's character looks at him and says, of course it is, because he's just used to hearing dumbass names from from 007. But the very last shot... You have uh, Nick Cage left in the frame, and you have the the different uh, panels of the building kind of receding into the background, and they form a frame off in the distance. Mm-hmm. And you see Sean Connery walk through it, look, and then walk away, which is very similar to what? James when 007 walks through the barrel of the gun oh, in a frame, and he yeah, walks oh, off. Shit. He either shoots or walks off. So I thought that was just, um, that was a really cool thing that you see in this movie. Um, like I said, there's a ton of other stuff that you could probably find on the internet or something, but those are those are just the things that I noticed. And right. Sean Connery even said that he took the role because he wanted to play, you know, James Bond or a like James Bond character, character one again. last time. Yeah. 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 Interesting, yeah. 
All right, I think I think we're ready for our ratings. Holly, how much you give in this movie? Ten dollars. Next nation, just ten, right? Ten dollars. What'd you give Con Air again? Fifteen. Jesus. So See, I'm why? gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get it. Like I I feel like one Con Air was an easier movie to watch. Like it would. They, I feel like. Connor that makes was, it better? Yeah, I, I think in the reference that I'm speaking about it, um, I think that Con Air was close to two hours long, but it didn't feel like two hours long. Okay. And this movie was two hours long, and it felt like two hours long. Like, there was a certain point where I was like, Jesus, like, it's still going. Like, right. it was that movie where I wasn't completely entertained. I feel like it was one action sequence to the next. Like I said, I had to pause it, so it was a little bit longer for me. But... I feel like there wasn't a moment where there wasn't an action scene where character development was taking place. I feel like the characters weren't as defined as I wanted to. I felt like there was so much potential when you have this much acting talent and it wasn't utilized. So I would give it $10. Blaine, how much are you giving this movie? Wow. You're probably going to be surprised at what I have to say. Mm. I would give this film $20. What? This is my what? first $20 film for, for $20 tickets. Wow. So, yes. Wow. Yeah. I, I think this is just a great film. The I think you can fuck? You wow. can't even argue that this is Michael Bay's best film. It is. Michael I can agree with that. I can agree with that. And just because. After Bad Boys. After Bad Boys. Bad Boys 2. And just because of the actors in it, you know, like I said, Nick Cage, Sean Connery, I mean, Ed Harris, this is just such a great film. It's a film I own. I could watch it anytime it comes up. I'll, I'll watch it again. I'll recommend it, and I like it. Yes. Kerwin's doing the four pillars right A, now. A, B, three, <laughs> four. So yeah, twenty dollars. Got it, Kerwin. Uh, I'm also gonna go with ten. What? Wow. All right. All right. All right. All right. Like I said, and much like Holly described, about at the hour mark when they first start going to Alcatraz and they don't get there to the hour mark which is fine they were doing a lot of things but you know to Holly's point what do they do with that time I, I was looking at I was looking at the clock cause like the movie just felt like it was dragging yeah. like wow. the closer you I got to the that. end the more and more I, I felt like nothing was happening right and I was just like these these characters are interesting especially Ed Harris's character and honestly he's the only dude that I was kind of invested in Nick Cage's character is just kind of caught in the middle. And then Sean Connery's character, Sean Connery's just a joy to have on screen regardless. So I was intrigued by him. But, you know, like you said, Holly, I was kind of disappointed that, you know, we didn't get more out of him. He's definitely underutilized. Definitely, like you said. But yeah, I'm going to give this 10. And I'm agree with Holly. I didn't enjoy this movie as much as I enjoyed Con Air. I enjoy Con Air a lot more than this movie, even though this is a great movie. Really? So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tie it with Con Air and give it ten. Wow. Okay. Jason, how much did you give it? Well, I gave Con Air fifteen. <laughs> and why are you looking at me? No, I'm just I'm thinking, and I, I'm surprised you gave it a ten. I just think when you compare the two films, like one, I mean, I think they 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 tie to the same schmaltz, if you will, like the same '90s genre of like a dramatic actor taking an action role, like as far as entertainment. And I think with Con Air. Yeah, it was cheesy. Yeah, it was dumb. But it it just was so much easier to ingest, if you will. I feel like, I don't know, I, I gave Con Air a 15, and I feel like, um, you know, our, our structure with our ratings are pretty rigid. So, I mean, yeah. we don't have a lot of, you know, wavering between. I swear between. to God, if you give this a 20. No, 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 I'm not going to give it a 20, but I'm going to give it a 15, just because, like I said, I like the music. 
I liked the acting. I feel like Con Air was something similar. I mean, we're talking about Nick Cage movies. I mean, it's an action movie. There's a little more humor in it, I feel like. There's more room for other characters to be main stars, but I feel like this one is an all-in-out action movie. I feel like, you know, Michael Bay does a great job in this movie. Um, Sean Connery is amazing. Nick Cage is amazing. Um, Ed Harris, I feel like... I, I don't know. There's something about, like I said, and the music always gets me. Oh, yeah. Every it always time. gets me. Every time. I do like the soundtrack in, like, Con Air, but I do, like... For a movie, I do like the soundtrack and The Rock just a little bit better, so I'm going to give it a 15. Well, Trisha Yearwood is your ringtone. Holly, you're not supposed to tell people that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> your phone went off earlier. My phone is on vibrate on this podcast. No one would ever have to know that. Thank you very much. All right, so Muggs, how much are you paying to watch The Rock? So if we're going to compare Con We're not going to compare Con Air. I, I, I was doing that. You guys all did. I was doing that. No, I'm just um, saying in juxtaposition. I gave Con Air $5. This... I am going to give it. I was on the edge, I, 15 or 20. Nothing was like giving me the edge to give it a 20, which I can't. I'm going to give it a 15 now. $15. I, I, I think that this does everything that a 90s movie should do. Soundtrack, story, cast, everything. Action. Yes. Action. I, I, I don't want to keep comparing it to Con Air. I don't understand how this, you guys are giving this. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it a 15. I, 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 I have to. Bold choice, Cotton. It is, it's not a bold choice. This is what this is worth. And hey, I mean, I'm, I'm, I love this movie. I yeah. love it. Fair rating. Yeah. So, okay. so how much are we paying, Muggs? Okay. If you add it all up, $70 divided by five, this gives it a $14 rating. Ooh, tied with Oblivion. <laughs> what did Con Air get? 12. I'm happy. What did 50 Shades get again? Fucking $1. $20 too much. And that's because of Holly. Holly, you actually gave it like a monetary value. I, that movie sucks. I was also highly intoxicated. Yeah. Let's, oh, let's go there. I was there. fucked up. <laughs> Sorry, mom and dad. But All right. No. So we're giving, we're giving The Rock $14, which, I, hey, that's kind of what, Jason, you said on ratings of people right i mean well yeah like i said tomato meter gave it 66 audience gave it 85 so we're hovering around there uh, yeah. yeah yeah okay and i'm, I'm hovering i'm hovering around casting tom cruise in this movie there it is so it is. uh mugga <laughs> yes you can yeah <laughs> who's tom cruise in the rock here's where i have <laughs> and i've thought about this and I, I i hate saying this i love ed harris in this movie you're not I about think, to go where I think I, you're going to go. You're know, not about I, to do it. The best character in this movie, you're not about Nicholas to do Cage. it. He can't play John Mason. He's got to be Ed Harris's character, but Ed Harris is so great. I think that he's got to be the... Drink some like, water. Drink some water. He's got to be... <laughs> Frank Hummel. I, I, that, that, that's my, that's my vote. I have to. Like, there's Francis. nothing else I can see Tom Francis Cruise doing. Now, do I think he could do a better job than Harris? No. But if Tom Cruise is in this movie, he's got to be Brigadier General Frank Hummel. Okay, Jason, uh, who's Tom Cruise in this movie? If I had to pick someone, I, I, I don't want to pronounce his name. I think it's Michael. Michael Bean. Yes. Michael Bean. So he was Kyle Reese from The Terminator. Um, I think he he has a pretty cool speech in the shower room. Uh, that doesn't give you the right to mutiny. Yeah, exactly. I, I think he has a pretty strong command of like the unit and them infiltrating Alcatraz. I think he'd be a cool Tom Cruise. Okay. Uh, I'm going to replace Nick Cage with Tom Cruise. 
Um, really? Yeah, I think. Does he play that nerdy character? I think, but you know what? I, I think, have a Volvo. But I think one. it would take <laughs> it would take this movie in a more serious direction. I kind of feel like you know we said earlier. Nick Cage is kind of this wonky doctor type dude. Yeah. Maybe if Tom Cruise plays him a little more serious, maybe the movie kind of keeps an even tone. Like I didn't get into this earlier, but I feel like the movie has different tones, has a different tone whenever Nick Cage is on screen. Yeah. It's, right, it's a little right, bit too yeah. campy. So if you want to keep this, cause you start off with Ed Harris and you're on like, Oh, this is some shit yeah, going on. And then once you get to Nick Cage and his fucking Pee Wee Herman bullet machine, <laughs> the movie, like the movie dips when Nick Cage is on screen because of the way he's portraying this character. Yeah. So I think if you put Tom Cruise in that doctor scientist role, you kind of have an even tone throughout and he could play it differently. He doesn't have to right. play it like Nick Cage, but I'm putting Nick Cage as Dr. Good speed. Good. I almost said speed. Good. <laughs> All right. Bling. Who's Tom Cruise in this movie? I, I always just imagine a FBI special agent in charge, Ernest Paxton, uh, him oh. just, just grinning and just being like, you know, being a dick, like kind of in this, I can Would imagine Tom Cruise then get a hot dog on set. I mean, <laughs> that's, the, that's what you got to ask yourself. Um, I mean, he'd have to convince the, the crew that he was, he was important. Yeah. He's Tom Cruise. So I think he'd get that damn hot dog. Yes. Okay. Holly, who is Tom Cruise in this movie? So first and foremost, it has been brought to my attention that I was been very heightist in the past towards Tom Cruise. Um, that height is not something that you can control. And that I've been very rude with saying that Tom Cruise is 5'6". That's not something that he can control. So I would like to apologize for men who are five, six and under because that's not something that you can control. However, I would like to acknowledge that Tom Cruise would have been a great FBI director in this movie. Womack? Womack. Womack. Is he old enough? (laughs) I think he would have been great. I think he would have provided the opposition to Sean Connery. I think he would have been like, let me see the body. And I think it would have been great. I think it would have provided a lot of... I I would never have saw that. I feel like he's still the shortest guy in the cast, too. (laughs) I'm not a heightist anymore. It's been brought to my attention that that is rude, and that is uncalled for. Well, this segment has definitely reached new heights. Yeah. I would like to apologize for my past dealings with Tom Cruise being short. We're talking about Ethan Hunt here. He's jumped out of planes and... He's larger than life. He couldn't hang like one hand off of hotel balcony? I don't know. He's larger than life. Okay. All right. Just not night. All right. So, uh, thank you guys for listening. Great episode. (laughs) Had a great time. Awesome. All right. Yeah. Fun time. Fuck you, Sally. Thanks for listening to this episode of $20 Ticket. Follow us on Instagram at $20 Ticket and leave your ticket price about the movies we've reviewed. If you have any comments or suggestions, send them to $20ticket at gmail.com. That's two zero, the numbers, $20ticket at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts and thank you for listening.